After surviving a car accident, Michelle wakes up to find herself in an underground bunker with two men. Howard tells her that a massive chemical attack has rendered the air unbreathable and their only hope of survival is to remain inside. Despite the comforts of home, Howard's controlling and menacing nature makes Michelle want to escape. After taking matters into her own hands, the young woman finally discovers the truth about the outside world. Welcome to another feature presentation of Midnight Double Feature, and on this episode, we'll be covering 2016's 10 Cloverfield Lane, directed by Dan Trachtenberg. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another feature presentation episode of Midnight Double Feature. As you just heard, we're going to be covering 10 Cloverfield Lane on this episode. Uh, really keen to cover that with uh, my main man, Colin. Colin, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am good. We um, This episode will be dropping in the new year. How about that? <laughs> in the new in the year 2000. <laughs> yep, indeed. Indeed. Guys, as you've just heard, 10 Cloverfield Lane, that's what we're covering. We are Midnight Double Feature. You can find us on Facebook. Please follow us on Facebook. We have our main page, which is Midnight Double Feature, and then we have our uh, social group on Facebook, which is called the After Party. That's where uh, our community comes together and posts memes, news, and teasers of, and we post teasers of what's to come here on Midnight Double Feature. We also have our Instagram, if you're so Instagram inclined, it's at Midnight Double Feature, and Twitter, which is at MDF Pod. Uh, if you're one of those uh, tweeters who likes to get in on, you know, political shit and you know follow tweets and shit. I don't know. I'm not much of a tweeter. So. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're if you're Mark Hamill or Stephen King, you know, just jump right on that shit. Right, exactly, exactly. I, I think I think it's more for that older generation because you know we're we're young. Well, we want to be young, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and uh, you look, you know, if you guys have any uh, you know questions or concerns, you can feel free to uh, email us here at Midnight Double Feature, which is uh, Midnight Double Feature at Gmail and please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. That would be fantastic. And please, please, please share the show, uh, whether that's via uh, you know Twitter or on Instagram or Facebook. Just share our show. Get our word out there. Um, you know, if you're if you're at a if you're at an event or something, you know, just be like, hey, I've been listening to a new film podcast. And, you know, the other person will be like, oh, what's it called? And you can just be like, hey, been a double feature. But, hey, don't forget to tell them that it's E for explicit because some people look at snowflakes. Um, and yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to like mislead someone into thinking we're a G rated podcast. Cause we are not. I would, I would just love to see some, some guy riding on the fucking subway car and be like, Hey, have you ever listened to midnight double feature? And the guy's like, well, who are you? Like, what the fuck are you talking mm-hmm. about? <laughs> like some random person. Uh, that, that's a challenge I'm putting out. So to our listeners put out like a, you know, film yourself telling a random person on the subway, uh, about midnight double feature and then post it in the after party, please, I will fucking lose my mind. just don't let it end up like the scene in joker because that's uh that's that's next level but anyway guys that's the uh formalities done that's the self-plugging the all all the all the let's you know hug ourselves and suck our own dicks that's all done let's talk (laughs) 10 cloverfield lane uh colin you start your okay so you're you're new to this movie tell me about what you know about the cloverfield franchise have you seen the other two okay so uh the Paradox one, I have not. I actually really wanted to check it out. I've heard it's not that great, but, you know, I'll let my own opinion be formed of that because it just, I loved Daniel Brühl, and I was like, you know, it's got some really good actors in it. Uh, it seems something that, like, I would really enjoy, so I just, I've, I've been meaning to check it out, but never have. Uh, I went and saw the original Cloverfield in theaters, like, 10, 11 years ago. Me too. And I remember seeing it. Okay, awesome. Uh, and, and I was like, 
almost in the front row and it was very nauseating. Oh, this was, uh, yeah, well, this was, I mean, it wasn't definitely wasn't the first found footage uh, kind of movie, but it was, you know, we had Blair Witch and then maybe there were a couple imitators after that. And then you had Cloverfield and then you had Paranormal Activity and then you had all these other, I mean, now it's a cult, it's, it's a genre onto its own. So I remember watching the first one and just being completely blown away by it and thinking, wow, this is, this is so fucking cool. Um, it's, it's just very different. The, it, you know, where, where, where with Godzilla, we have, or King Kong or what have you. We have these main characters. They had, you know, while we have the battle of the monster going on, they have their own subplot and they're trying to destroy it or help the monster or whatever. Um, but in these kind of movies, it's just like, you know, uh, you're so kept in the dark of what it is and what's going on, where it came from, how to defeat it. It's all very mysterious. And the whole, it seems very realistic in that kind of way of like, we're just trying to survive. And that, that's, that's what I really like in the wake of this thing. It's not, you know, Oh, everyone's a scientist and they're trying to, you know, blow this thing up. No, everyone's just trying to get the fuck out of this way. It's like ants to a boot. Um, so this was the first time that I had actually seen this and I, uh, I actually bought it on Blu-ray. I can't remember where from might've been like Best Buy, uh, but I bought it on Blu-ray and I had it and I still haven't taken it out of the plastic yet. And I was like, Oh, fucking whatever. Um, so I popped it in and, and I really enjoyed this one. Um, I'm not sure. It's been a long time since I've seen the first Cloverfield. Um, like I said, I haven't seen Cloverfield paradox, so it's hard for me to compare this one to the uh, original one. And, and I mean, I wouldn't even really, a lot of people were like, Oh, the Clover, it's, the sequel in the Cloverfield franchise. I'm like, this is, I mean, in spirit only. Like, this does not feel like, you know, the sequel to the first Cloverfield at so, all. This is not like... While you're talking about it, do you mind if I read a quote from J.J. Abrams? Because you've kind of, like, pretty much hit the nail on the head on exactly what he said. Um, yeah, yeah. So he calls he calls it a blood, re- a blood le- relative or a spiritual successor. He said, the spirit of it... This is a quote, by the way. The spirit of it, the genre of it, the heart of it, the fear factor, the comedy factor, the weirdness factor. There were so many elements that it felt like the DNA of this story were of the same place that Cloverfield was born out of. Those characters and that monster from Cloverfield are not in this movie, but there are characters and other monsters. And this movie is a ver- is very purposely not called Cloverfield 2 because it's not Cloverfield 2. So if you're approaching it as a literal sequel, you'd be surprised to see what this movie is. But while it's not what you might expect from this movie that has the name Cloverfield in it, I think you'll find that you'll understand the connection when you see the whole thing. That's what he said. So, yeah, I think you definitely, like, nailed it there in terms of, like, it not being a sequel. Right, yeah, and, and I, I agree with most of that. I, I the, only, the only thing I have any kind of quarrel with, and this, this is a great movie, by the way. I really enjoyed it. Um, the only thing I have any kind of quarrel with is this, this, it, I mean, it feels the, the alien shit almost seems kind of like tacked on yes. last minute. You know what I mean? Like, yep. 100%. It, 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 it feels like this could, this could be, um, I, I don't know. You know, we know I'd have really would have loved if she went to the surface and the, the air was toxic and it was like, Hey, this is a fallout movie. This is like about the games fallout, the, the fallout. This is a movie, a prequel to the, you know, the U.S. the U.S. and China sending nukes at each other. Like, hey, that's fucking cool. I would have really enjoyed that. Um, I, I and I know that like I know what he says in terms of humor and spirit and dialogue and stuff. It has similarities, but I, I think really the only 100 percent similarity that I feel is in namesake only. And, you know, you can change your aliens up a little bit, but it's I mean, it's basically it's basically, I mean, they're basically the same kind of aliens uh, that, that what's going on. And, and I, I, I get it in terms of, um, for, uh, Michelle's character arc, 
at the end, you know, her deciding to go into that instead of just running away from it. And that's cool and that's fine and all. But I mean, this could have been so many different things. This could have been a zombie movie. This could have been, you know, um, Fallout. This could have been, you know, a, a Terminator prequel. You know, there's a lot of different shit um, that can happen where I think that a huge difference between those two movies is, is the first Cloverfield is about these people directly dealing with the monster and running through the city and stuff like that. <clears throat> and it really shows you when the shit hits the fan, you know, with these people right in the middle of it. Whereas the, this is the opposite point of this where it's, it's three people. It takes place in one set entirely. It's far, it's so fucking far away from any city um, that, but it shows you in times like these, that when that kind of presence arrives, that it turns, you know, sometimes the people around you into monsters, that it's not just, you know, it's 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 what I love about uh, zombie apocalypse fiction is that, you know, when the zombies come out, it's the people like Negan you need to be afraid of. It's not the zombies. The zombies are simple. You know, it's like but it's when it's when it's human beings that um, <clears throat> have a little bit more motive and, you know, uh, are willing to do dastardly things to to do that or to, to to accomplish that it's those people you need to be afraid of and that's that's what i really loved about it but all in all i mean i, I really did enjoy this movie you know except for the alien stuff which is kind of eh, you know okay whatever I don't, I don't really need it um but i like mary elizabeth winstead in this i i really like um john, john goodman. goodman and okay yeah well and and who is the actor that plays emmett i haven't really seen him in much yeah honestly. john john gallagher um, jr is the actor's name i hadn't seen him in much either man i fucking loved him he was great he was probably my favorite part of this movie in terms of just we needed a humor break we needed an everyman and there was something about him that i really enjoyed that made him i don't know it, he, he just seemed so real you know i feel like i know that guy i feel like i've worked with that guy uh, and I like Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I'm not taking anything away from her, but there is something uh, there. There's something about that hero character that I think is always kind of harder for people to to connect with. Maybe that's just me. Um, but you know, I've just you know, I've, I've I've never had the kind of the struggle that she that she's had. But I, I with Emmett, I related to that a little bit more. And I was like, yeah, I fucking I get this guy. I like him. Um, so I think it's really cool. I think you have these different shades of people all tied up here in this bunker. Um, you know, I need to check out the Cloverfield Paradox. I've heard it's kind of meh, but, you know, I'll still check it out just because you watch two out of three, why not? But I really enjoyed this one. I think it's highly underrated, um, especially for a film that had like a $15 million budget and made like 110 back at the box office. You want to talk about Fuck a yeah, fucking dude. success? Like, good God. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really glad I watched this. Uh, it's got like a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, if Rotten Tomatoes loves it that much, like Jesus. Um but yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic movie. I love the small scope of it and the scale and the, you know, it, it, anything that takes place with a few actors in, a, in one area, I'm always down for it. And I'm sure that was challenging to write. And I think they pulled it off really well. Fuck yeah, dude. Um, you, you know, every time I pick a movie and you haven't seen it before, I'm always a bit nervous. <laughs> like I'm always like, I'm always like, right. oh, God damn it. <laughs> Is he going to like this? Is he not going to like this? But this one, this one, I was pretty confident that you you would at least like because, I mean, it's a it's a fantastic script. Um, you know, aliens aside, it is a fantastic script. Like the the whole abduction element of it, the whole kind of mystery element of it. Like it's just a really fantastically well done script. Um, this movie was a the, the original script was called The Cellar, um, and it was eventually turned into the spiritual success of the two thousand eight film. So it wasn't originally written as a Cloverfield film. Um, it was when it was bought by Paramount and Bad Robot, that's when it became um, Cloverfield. And if you think, okay, and this is kind of going like not 
going too much into spoilers for Paradox, but if you think the aliens in this feel tacked on, then just wait for Paradox because that movie has it worse. Yeah, that movie has it a lot, lot worse in terms of tacking things on. Um, This movie, okay, so let me me talk about the the franchise overall. Um, Yeah, 2008, dude, I watched Cloverfield. That movie blew me away, man. Like, I... I raved about that movie to my friends and I just remember them watching and being like, so them being so disappointed because I think when you're a 15 year old, you're kind of wanting to see the monsters a little bit more. You're kind of wanting to see the action a bit more. So I, I don't know. Like, and I'm not saying I was like, you know, my thinking of film was way ahead of them. Like, you know what I mean? But it was just like, I love that movie because of the way the unique way it approached monster films. Like I've seen at that time, like in 2008, I've seen monster films, you know, I've seen like, the first Transformers was out. I've seen like big fucking giant entities destroying cities before. I've seen that shit, but nothing that's done it quite like the way Cloverfield one did it. Um, the one thing about Cloverfield one that really, really drew me in was the marketing. Um, JJ Abrams okay, produced the, the, the first film. That first film was directed by Matt Reeves. Who's you know now doing the Batman. He did the last two Planet of the Apes films. He did let me in. Uh, he's a fantastic director, but um, yeah, JJ Abrams is known for his really out there kind of marketing campaigns. Uh, and the first time I had ever seen like something like that was um, was Cloverfield. Uh, I just remember like little look little viral images and little viral videos going up online about Cloverfield, and I was like, "What is this movie about? Uh, what is it about?" Because there was just so much. Like so much out there that was indirectly connected to the movie, and uh, you know he's he's like kind of like explaining the lore of this monster. Like you know, I remember I remember reading this uh, article online, and you know, if you watch Cloverfield, like right at the end of the movie, it's like the final shot of the film. You know, it's a, it's a main couple. You know, they're out on this holiday, and if you look on the top right hand corner, you see a splash, and you just see the sat uh, like a satellite or some kind of alien craft falling into the ocean. And it's just like it's things like that that's kind of like thrown into the movie, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That I that I really really adored, and that came out through the marketing of it, like after the film. Um, that movie is like chock full of like little little tidbits like that. So I remember definitely one hundred percent being pulled into that. Um, and then Ten Cloverfield Lane came out. So Ten Cloverfield Lane, I was still working at Hoyts, but I was working um, kind of in like the main sort of head office thing. And then what happened was. I had never heard of this movie before. Uh, like it, it, like the <laughs> the timing of this movie was like um, it, it was it was scheduled to release in March, and then the first trailer came out in February. So it's it's so it's so weird. Like the the announcement of the film was followed by the sorry the the, the trailer of the film was followed by the announcement of the film pretty much immediately. I'd never seen a movie that kind of like you know a movie starring John Goodman. And yeah, you know, uh, and fucking uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who who are, who I both know, and a movie that's kind of connected to the Cloverfield franchise. I would have thought that this would have a lot more of a marketing push, or I would have heard of it. I'd never heard of it before, like a month before release. And Paradox is even even worse. <laughs> Paradox. I remember last year in uh, 2018, I was uh, flying back from Boston. I was flying home. And I stopped over in uh, Dallas Airport, you know, and this was the day of the Super Bowl. And I remember, you know, waiting around for my flight and, you know, I was watching the Super Bowl on on TV and there was an ad that came on and it was Cloverfield Paradox. And it was like streaming on Netflix after the Super Bowl. Like that's what the, that's literally what the trailer said, (laughs) like streaming today after the Super Bowl. And that's when it was announced. 
because that movie was um, in production uh, as as God Particle was the the name of the um, of the production. But yeah, I definitely remember following that movie pretty pretty hard, and then like you know eventually got dropped on Netflix. Like it was just like meh, here you guys go. Like not not that big of a deal. Um, so yeah, this this franchise this is a weird franchise. <laughs> um, I specifically chose this movie, Ten Cloverfield Lane, over Cloverfield and Cloverfield Paradox. Because I 100% think that this is the best of the three. Um, this is a fantastic film, dude. Uh, this is an actor's movie. This is uh, this is a movie that's kind of like, if these three performances don't work, then this movie doesn't work. Um, and this is a weird movie in the sense that it relies on you to kind of not have seen the first Cloverfield movie, but to know the first Cloverfield movie or what it's about. Because that first Cloverfield movie, you know it's about an alien or, or some kind of like an extraterrestrial entity kind of attacking a, a city, right? This movie relies on you to kind of know, know that information. And if you do know it, then great. Then that means that Howard, the information that Howard is feeding you via Mary Elizabeth Winter's character, that might lend to some credibility because the entire like name of this game is, um, is Howard Wright. Like, you know what I mean? Is he is he correct? Right, it's trust. Right, it's all about trust. Like, do we, like, are we supposed to trust him? But then, like, we're given, like, little clues and little breadcrumbs of, like, no, this is going to, this is a bad guy. This is a bad person. He's not, he's not trustworthy. Uh, and then we're given evidence on the contrary. So throughout this movie, dude, you're kind of, like, thrown this way and that way, and you're just, like, what the fuck is this outcome? <laughs> um, and yeah, I hundred percent agree with you. The, the the alien this movie is pretty is weakened by the alien stuff. It's weakened by the Cloverfield connection ultimately, because every time I do watch this movie, I'm a bit like, oh, I don't know if I needed this. I don't know if I need this this uh, demo dog chase at the end. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like I don't think. Right. Yeah. I don't think I need that. Um, I would have, I would have much rather, like you said, a chemical contamination, like or something like something, something a little more credible. Um, but you know, I'm not going to fully deduct points from that because the previous hour and a half of what we just saw in this film is absolutely incredible. Um, this is a fucking tense movie. I love movies that are full of tension, and this is just way up there, dude. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really keen to cover this movie. Uh, Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. Colin, thank you for watching this for the first time. <laughs> um, yeah, hell yeah. I enjoyed it. Fuck yeah, dude. What do you say we get right into this bitch? Let's do this shit, man. Let's do this shit. So we kick off. We open on Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character, Michelle. She's hastily packing. There's an earthquake as we see the apartment shuddering. Uh, she's obviously upset as she talks on the phone and grabs a bottle of whiskey on her way out, leaving the keys behind and wedding ring behind. Um... And dude, this is like three minutes and we've already found out so much information. Like it's kind of like a, a masterclass in terms of storytelling. Like it's it's wasting no time, right? Right. Well, it's definitely like a masterclass in show and don't tell with the fact that, I mean, it's inaudible dialogue because it doesn't matter. Like the, <clears throat> the look on her face, the distress, like packing, because at first you're kind of split. You're like, okay, so is it happening now? Like, is this the alien shit or... Um, you know, is, is this something else? And then as the scene kind of goes on and you see her packing stuff up, you see her grab the bottle, you see the ring, you see the keys, you're like, oh, okay, this is not alien shit. Like she would be 
freaking out a lot more. But at first, it I think because it's got that Cloverfield title in there, you see her packing out the bag, you see the you see the earthquake hit, you're like, all right, it's happening, and you're like, oh wait, no, it kind of pulls a little bit of a switcheroo on you. Right, exactly. No, it, it absolutely does. And just I, I I did go past just quickly. Um, the poster for this movie is one of the best poster posters I've seen in a very long time. I actually own this poster. Um, it's just a, a super wide shot, right? Like the top like third of the of the poster is above ground and you just see the sky and like the house and then you see like the rest of it is just the ground and then it's like this kind of like tunnel and like it's this L, like it connects to the L, like the L connects to the surface, so the L and lane. Um, and it's just like 10 Cloverfield Lane. And I love the the uh, the tagline. It says monsters come in many forms, like obviously referring to Howard. And it's just... Yeah, it's just a, it's just a, a a good you know a, a damn good teaser poster. I love it. Um, but yeah, we were to, uh, dude. I love the music in this uh, in this movie. Like the the strings, the violins. It's it's great. Um, we get these overhead shots of her driving along in tears. Uh, she stops at this gas station. Um, did you do you know about Slusho? Yeah, I did a little bit of like uh, reading and YouTubing after I watched the movie, and I kind of picked up on the you know that it that it pops up in a pretty much all of Abram's stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's almost like the Quentin Tarantino red apple cigarette kind right. of thing. It pops up everywhere. Um, but I also noticed this, this gas station she stopped at is, is the Kelvin gas station. This is the one that gets destroyed in super eight. Uh, it's a Kelvin gas station. And I mean, when, if you look at Abram stuff, Kelvin is, I mean, the Kelvin timeline and Star Trek, like it's over everything. There's always something Kelvin or Slosho in like all of his, uh, movies, which I think is interesting. You know, I, I think it's funny because I, I sometimes I think people, People take that stuff and they run to the hills with it, like, "Oh, it's it's all connected." And you know, <laughs> I saw people I saw people saying that you know that the Slosho drink is is what causes people to turn into Cloverfield monsters. And I was yeah. like, "Dude, it's just it's just a funny Easter egg, man. Like, don't like you're taking that shit and running it into the ground and running way too far with it." Um, but no, I, I like those. It's just it's not a it's not a it's not a vein that connects them. They're just tiny little nerves and threads, you know. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a fun little nod. Like, yeah, I I I didn't I hundred percent didn't run with that. Like, I was like, because like Slusho shows up in Star Trek. Like, it's literally in the dialogue. Slusho mix. Thank you. Um, I don't think Slusho is in Star Wars. I I highly doubt it is. If it is, then it must be really really fucking small. Um, Kelvin didn't pick up on Kelvin. By the way, that was a good fucking connection. Um, because now that I think about it, the Kelvin, the USS Kelvin, is the the ship in Star yeah. Trek that uh, yeah. Uh, Chris Pine's father does. It's 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 literally on everything. Like when I started watching, I was like, "Holy shit!" Uh, (laughs) It's it's on it's on so much fucking stuff. Yeah, Uh, she drives off. We uh, wait when and she receives a call from Ben. Dude, do you know who the voice of Ben is? A fucking Bradley Cooper. Bradley fucking Cooper, (laughs) Rocket Raccoon himself. Just so random. Like I don't know how or why, but random. Yeah, and it's and it sounds nothing like him, you know. No. That's the thing. And even as it still takes me a while to get over the fact that, you know, when when I think MCU, I never think Bradley Cooper. Even though Rocket Raccoon is like you know a fan favorite of a lot of people, I still don't ever associate him with like Rocket Raccoon, you know. Um, oh, I think American like, Sniper, but I just because like we're hearing his voice here, that's why I was like, oh, Rocket Raccoon. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. First movie that comes to mind is American Sniper for me. See, my mine was always the Hangover because I think that's oh, the one here lovely. that just blew him. Yeah, I mean, it just it just blew him the fuck up. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, there there is something really odd about like you know he. You would expect someone who's like 
typical in Abrams movies to pop up. Somebody who, you know, like um, if this were a Tarantino movie. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, Or if this were a Tarantino movie, it would be like Samuel Jackson. Or (laughs) if this were a Scorsese movie, this would be De Niro. You know, like, you know, those people, if this were Burton, it would be Depp. But it's just weird because I'm like, I don't know of Bradley Cooper doing a lot of shit with J.J. Abrams or... Um. Uh. I'm. What, what Trachtenberg? What is Dan, his first Dan name? Trachtenberg? Dan Trachtenberg. Which, by the way, he has not done a whole lot of other stuff besides this. He directed like the first episode of The Boys, which I thought was pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, and he's done episode. a short film. Yeah. And, and well, he's doing a sh- he's done a short film, and he's doing a, a Harry Houdini, um, biopic. From what I've heard. Now, I mean, that's to be announced. I, I mean, who knows? I could fucking fall straight through. But um, and well, I also don't want to go go by the 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 names of the people who wrote this. I mean, there's one of them that's oh got to stand God. out. Did you catch it at all? Yes. Damien Chazelle, dude, fucking writer and yeah. director of Whiplash and La La Land. Holy shit. Yeah. And I think, didn't he direct First Man as well? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I always forget about First Man because they're not, they're not the, that's not, that's the one outlier from those other two that he's done. But yeah, uh, First Man for sure. He's a fantastic director, dude. Um, and his name when it popped up, I was like, "Oh, what the fuck!" Right? Yeah, that's the one that. Yeah, it, it threw me off a little bit when I saw it. It's like, wait, Damien, Damien Chazelle. I know that name, and I, honestly, I haven't seen First Man or La La Land, so the only thing I really know him from is uh, Whiplash. So it's really odd. I was like, "Wow, this does not seem like something that Damien Chazelle would be attached to," you know. But it's because when you think about it, this is not a sci-fi film. This is like a thriller. This is more like Misery than it is like Cloverfield. Yeah, good and point. I, I think it's. I, I, well, yeah, and I well, and I think it's interesting just seeing that you know this it, it, this does not need to be like this a sci-fi film in the vein of like oh we got to have aliens and stuff at the end. But if you have a character like Emmett, it kind of has to be there because why would Emmett be there if he didn't actually see something and he's kind of like verifying stuff? So there's kind of a couple of different if you if you want to make it a thing where there are no aliens and this is just how we're being paranoid. Well, what did Emmett see? And if you start poking too many holes and trying to take too much stuff away, I'm like ah well. Yeah, I could see it being something, but maybe it doesn't have to be fucking aliens, though. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I 100% agree. Like, I I just, um, it, it again, it seems like it's let down by, it's burdened by the franchise that it's in. And um, the, the script is better than that, I think. Um, right, 100%. But yeah, um, also, dude, yeah, we talked about Abrams being one of the producers, but man, Matt Reeves, like, obviously, because, you know, he directed the first Cloverfield. Matt Reeves... I can't I can't sing higher about that guy, dude. Like he has an amazing and very impressive like filmography. Um, if you, I mean, we covered Let Me In on the podcast already. Um, he directed uh, Ri- uh, sorry, not Rise. He directed uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War of the Planet of the Apes. Those two films are fucking fantastic, especially Dawn. Yeah, um, and that's a hundred percent why he's he's almost a hundred percent why I'm re- I'm really keen for the new Batman because. Man, like he's just such a fantastic director. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, she basically it's Ben who's wanting to talk and uh, ask her to come back before she hangs up. We're here on the radio of a rolling blackout over the eastern seaboard, right? And they're kind of like laying the seeds of, of like for what's to come. Um, and then boom, car crash, right? This is obviously later as we come to find out, it's Howard running her off the road. Um, I, you know what I fucking love, dude? The editing here. I love the credits coming over the car crash. The sounds like the yeah. sound going in and out. Just, just such a fucking fantastic design choice, man. So good. Now let me, and I do love that. And I don't want to like jump over what you said, but let me ask you this: Do you think 
later on Howard's like, hey, I was driving like a maniac. I accidentally hit your car. Do you think he accidentally did it or do you think Howard intentionally did this? No, Howard intentionally did this because he saw her at the gas station. Ah, that's right. Okay, so yeah, that is his truck. I was wondering about that because they, they really kind of show it and I'm like, yeah. man, that's weird. They're kind of they're kind of really pulling up on this truck. But I, I, I was wondering because he's just he's so in between sometimes that it was it's, it's until the end. It's really kind of hard to get a beat on him, you know, but I get it that he wants to like keep a he wants a young lady here to kind of, you know, have that nuclear family kind of feel like we're a family here, like blah, blah, blah. Um, but, it, but you also get the impression sometimes that these people are like a burden that he doesn't want them there. You know, it gets weird. There's a weird line that John Goodman toes really well on this. And I'm like, sometimes I can't really tell if he wants them there or if, you know, but some, it's, it's funny because those moments where I'm like, Oh, he doesn't want them there. It's like, those are directed towards Emmett. And the, you know, it, it's like the moments where he's a lot nicer. Like he's never nice to Emmett this movie. Never fucking says a nice word to that guy ever. Like he's always like, you're a fucking idiot. Shut the fuck up. Like blah, blah, blah. But um, to Michelle, he's just unbelievably nice the whole time. And that's kind of something retro, like in retrospect, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, he is always kind of a dick to him. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I was wondering about that because at first I was I was kind of curious, like, did he actually do it? Did he not? He kind of seems like he doesn't want him there. And I'm like, nah, yeah. Now that I know that it's him at the gas station. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, this is how I read it, right? Like, I read it that he absolutely did drive her off the road. And because he he's trying to, I guess, replace his daughter uh, with Michelle, um, he's he's willingly brought Michelle into his uh, bunker, whereas Emmett, he, Emmett begged to to come in. Like, you know what I mean? Emmett, Emmett kind of, oh, well, I don't know. We don't see the scene, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing Emmett kind of like, uh, you know, begging, begging Howard to get the fuck in there because that's what he does. Like, that's what he says, right? He's like, I willingly came in here. Um, and that's, I think that's why Howard kind of like takes the, the, like takes that on him a little bit because he doesn't want him there. He just, he kind of. He's there by necessity because Emmett asked him to accept him in there. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's it's interesting. It's it's definitely at one point at some point I'm watching this and I'm like, you're both like two healthy young thirty year olds. Like, beat the fuck out of him. Just <laughs> just tip him over and break his fucking neck already. Like, there there's parts of like where I don't know. Oh, dude, Howard's can, such an we, interesting character. Yeah. He no. He is. We we can get to the the physicality of it because man, Goodman. I don't think there's tipping that there's any tipping that guy over. Like he, I am scared for his health in this film. By the way, just as yeah. an actor, well, fucking, you know, somebody go low, somebody go high, and fucking <laughs> topple that motherfucker over, not, dude. Knock Shrek off his ass. Come on. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Knock, knock Fred Flintstone off his ass. I'm not even kidding, dude. Like, yeah. there are scenes in this movie when John Goodman. It's a quiet scene, and John Goodman's breathing. Like you can hear him. He's like. <sighs> <laughs> and I, like it scares the shit out of me i'm like john please just get on a stairmaster just for a little bit please just for a little bit that's all i'm saying <laughs> he comes in with that ice cream at the end you're like that better be sugar-free good man that's all i'm saying <laughs> he starts farting and shit he's like oh there's lactose in here <laughs> <laughs> all right man let's get into this so um yeah michelle michelle wakes up sees that there's an attached she's attached to an iv drip and worst of all it's chained to a wall this gave me some sore vibes like, you know, whenever like someone gets abducted in, in saw and they wake up and they're like attached to a trap. That's what that's, that's what this reminds me of. Well, and this th I, I, if there's anything that sums up Howard as a character, I think it's just that shot of the brace on your leg. Hey, the handcuffs attached to the brace. What? It's kind of it's a double edged sword of like you're surviving. But are you really living like is this is this what life is now? Like, yes, you are fi technically physically alive. 
but it also comes at a cost. And I was like, that whole Im- that whole image right there just summed up almost the entire movie and almost Howard as a character for me. Like our first impressions of him, like, is this really worth it if you have to deal with this type of shit? You know, right. And I think I think that's um, that's what I like about the premise of the movie, right? Because like, if you're presenting. Because this movie is presenting Howard as a monster, right? But we we also have inklings or 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 um, suggestions of monsters above us, right? So it's like, which one would you rather prefer? Would you rather stay down here with Howard, or would you rather go up there and take your chances? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I love that kind of like that that decision that she has to make, even though she's she doesn't fully know that there are monsters up there. It's fantastic, right? It, it well, it's almost like being an adult. It's like, do you want to be? you know, a worker bee going to this job that maybe, you know, not everybody loves their job. Like, do you want to be this person going to that job every day or do you want to have the freedom but no security? You know, it's like it's kind of a kind of a double edged sword, you know? Yeah. So technically, I mean, in our metaphor here, how it is work. <laughs> right. How Howard is the Howard is the boss that you want to tip him over with the sugar free ice cream. Right. Right. And I, and I still maintain that there is no tipping him over, but we can we can keep going on, on this analogy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this is such a fantastic um, scene, dude. Like the, the the sense of atmosphere and desperation already. And by the way, dude, I wrote down here: it's been eight minutes. It's been eight minutes since the movie started. Yeah, like what the fuck? This movie just moves so fucking well. Well, and it was just kind of like what we were talking about with misery. Is like in the first five minutes, you know, he's where we are, where we are, and it's like for a movie that takes place in one area with three people that's an hour 45 you think they would draw that out a little bit more but they don't there's not even dialogue for like the first five minutes of the, of the movie no for sure absolutely um i love that we learn immediately that michelle is resourceful michelle is a great great character by the way she's 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 got a lot of agency she she thinks for herself like she's very um she, she reminds me a lot of ripley and like i know you know heresy right like i'm comparing her to one of the greatest action female heroines of all time but She's she's a fantastically written character. No, yeah, for sure. I, I actually was definitely getting some Sigourney Weaver vibes at some point. I was like, man, if they ever blasphemy ever remade Alien, you know, um, I actually wouldn't mind seeing Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ripley. And and as I got to watching this, I was like, you know, no offense to Brie Larson, but I kind of want to see her as Captain Marvel. No, oh, yeah, like, I, I think that. that she's. I, I think she's I think she would be perfect for that role. She she's tall and but she's got you know like there's there's something about. Brie Larson, I don't mind as Captain Marvel. I, th- I think she does okay. Um, you know, she's she, uh, you know she's not my favorite, but I, I think she does a great job. Uh, but I, you know, I want to see, uh, and I've said this multiple times about different people. It's like I want to see this person audition for this role. You know, I want to see that that audition reel. Uh, and I think Mary Elizabeth Winstead would be awesome for that. No, absolutely. And I've always had the biggest crush on her, dude. Like always, like ever since I was a kid. Oh, Scott. Scott Pilgrim, I was like, oh, my God, yeah. like you are. I mean, dude, there was like a there's a good chunk of time where I'm like, you are like every emo kid's boner <laughs> dream. You know, it's like, oh, my God. Um, yeah. For and me, I mean, she's still I mean, yeah, I, was, oh, I was just going to say for me, it was Die Hard 4.0. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> no, but there is something about like even now she's still I mean, not that Scott Pilgrim was that long ago, but she's still like just a total knockout. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Just this very like. Like she, she kind of has a look of like she fucking hates everything all the time. But at this, and Scott Pilgrim. But at the same time, you're like, oh, I love that. <laughs> it's something so funny. She reminds me. Oh, by yeah, the way, John Goodman. I was just gonna say she go reminds ahead, me a lot of um, Aubrey Plaza. Uh, you know, from Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, John Goodman is like six two and four hundred pounds. So Holy yeah, that might fuck. He's, right. Which. 
See, to me, everyone's like, oh, that's fucking, you know, I'm like 6'4 and 300 pounds. I'm like, ah, you know, I got a couple inches on him, but still 100 more pounds. Like, good God, man. Dude, that that's a behemoth. I'm sorry. I, I love you, John. I love you, John Goodman. By the way, man, this is one of his greatest performances ever. Um, I'm just going to straight up throw it out there. I know, you know, Big Lebowski, blah, 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 but this is one of the best films I've seen John Goodman in. And, like, he's, he he gives it his all. You When you, when you see Howard... You feel his presence, and he just he uses he does such a good job using his physicality. Well, yeah, and that and there are times where I questioned, like, is Howard like is he on the spectrum? Is he I like borderline autistic? Like, like there's something like he. I mean, he is absolutely OCD. Like, he is absolutely a control freak. There, I think I don't think there's any doubt about that. Like, but there was something I was like, is he? It seems like he's borderline on the spectrum. Like, he's quick to these like really hardcore flights of like rage and i I think he's just a a control freak who probably has um you know some maybe like maybe he's not autistic or anything well i boiled it down to the idea that he's ex ex navy right like he's a veteran right and i mean and a shit ton of people have problems like adjusting to you know a a normal life after that uh especially someone like howard who probably thrived in that kind of environment and now in the real world he's like you know, he, he is very much so about like honor and, you know, I just want you to be honest with me and I want I want us to be, you know, ha, ha, even with that shit with Emma later on, he's like, yes, I accept your apology and I believe him, even though his actions say otherwise, like I believe him because Emmett just owned up to it. Um, you know, and that, that's what's so interesting about it is that he's, you can tell he's just this very honorable person of like a handshake and your word is all he would need. He would never sign a written contract. But if you went back on that, he would like skin your fucking cats and kill your wife, you know, like some crazy shit. Right. Very Ron Swanson-esque. Yeah. Right. And all, all I can picture is John Goodman and like, oh, fuck, you've never seen a brother or art have you? No, I really want to. You know what? When we jump off this podcast, uh, I'm watching it because it's on Netflix. Oh, fuck. It's a better movie than this one. Let me tell you that. Uh, no. Fuck you. <laughs> no, well, I'm, from, I'm from the I'm from the South. It's like well, Brother Arthur is like one of the best Coen brother movies ever made. I fucking love that movie. Um, it's just, it's, oh God, it's so, but he, he plays like, uh, <laughs> he, he plays this huge dude with an eye patch on that's selling Bibles the whole time. And it's fucking hilarious. He's great in that movie. He was also great in the Flintstones. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Fuck that movie. <laughs> uh, all right, man. So she manages to get a hold of her cell phone and there's no service down here in the rape dungeon. Uh, then enter John Goodman who enters the room with a gun strapped to his hip and a tray of food. Uh, he tells Michelle that he's going to keep her alive and gives her crutches. Uh, by the way, dude, I love seeing John Goodman as a villain. Um, I know he played uh, the the villain in Hangover Three. I mean, sure, you know he he had a great presence. He's the best part of that movie. That movie's not that amazing, but he's he's such a fantastic. It seems like he's having the greatest time, and uh, I, I I think I think that here as well. Like he's having a great time playing kind of like a a, a guy that. Ends up being a monster, but yeah. Um, Michelle says that her boyfriend was expecting her uh, and he's going to send cops to find her, but Howard says, oh, contraire. No, he's not. <laughs> Howard gives her the key to the chain. Uh, she gets dressed and onto her crutches looking for a way out. Uh, she starts sharpening the end of her crutch, so much so that the vampire Lestat would be afraid. <laughs> I was wondering. I would. I would love if she stabbed John Goodman, and he's just so fat it doesn't hit him in the heart, and he's a vampire. <laughs> it just doesn't get to him. Um, 
But no, th- yeah, this this whole thing, uh, again, it reminded me of James Caan in Misery, just the resourcefulness yeah. of what is around you. What can you use? Use everything to your advantage. And I think that, that there is something interesting about Howard coming in. And for one thing, he's being so fucking vague, like just coming to be like, hey, hey. I need you to listen to me. There's been an attack. Like if you, I think like it's all about the way that you do stuff. And Howard could not give a fuck. Like he could not be bothered, which is just, I mean, that's just his character. That's the way it comes across. Um, But he could not be more like mysterious and ominous and dark about it, you know? Uh, But then he comes in, you know, the sign of like, of, of medical. It's just like, here's crutches. Like here's something to aid you in uh, the ability to walk. And it's like, that's such a universal sign of like, help you know and it, that's what's so interesting about it is like seeing this huge hulking grimacing guy come in and be like hey here's some crutches i'm here to keep you alive like uh okay what the fuck it's almost like come with me if you want to live. <laughs> you know it kind of it kind of feels like that for a sec right exactly well him not telling her that that was one of the factors that i kind of considered when i when i thought about him kind of having some kind of like ex-navy ptsd or some kind of like he's unable to to sympathize with someone who's in danger now like do you know what i mean like he can't put himself in his footsteps or in his shoes rather that's that's kind of what i picked right up. yeah he's just he, yeah no it, it, he, he comes across just like yeah this is what life is now so get used to it and it's like yeah you have to give a normal person time to like adjust to the kind of life that you you've lived for decades yeah absolutely uh but yeah so she basically lures howard back uh by lighting lighting the uh the thing and um, she, he ends up overpowering her and drugs her. She wakes up to Howard telling her how lucky she is to be here. His generosity extends only so far. He says there's, only, there's nowhere to go, that he saved her life and that he found her. This is where he lays down the fact that there's been an attack. Uh, not sure if it's chemical or nuclear, but the bunker under his farmhouse is safe. He says that the attack means fallout, which means the air outside is contaminated. They could wait years. Russian weapons, alien weapons... But luckily, he's prepared for this. He says that everyone outside of here is dead. What were you thinking when you first saw this movie, um, Colin, around this time? Well, it's kind of funny because, um, like, as we were talking about on one of our last episodes, uh, I'm a huge fan of, like, the Watch Mojo shit on YouTube. We always just throw those on. We just don't know what we want to watch. Um, so this was in <clears throat> the, like, it was, like, it was on some list. And basically, I knew how it ended uh, for the most part. I, I was, like, 50 50 you know I, I knew i knew that there was some kind of legit reason for what he was talking like he wasn't just making all this up um but that was something that you kind of figure out when the woman comes to the door later on you're like okay so this is legit but that doesn't mean that like just because he's right doesn't mean that he's not also a monster like they those two aren't you know exclusive, exclusive yeah. and, and I, right and i and i like that i like the fact that you know that that even though the whole movie wasn't him just acting like ape shit because he thinks something's going on on the surface. Like there's stuff below the surface as well that's going on. Um, but so he's not totally wrong. He, and he, he's really not like the air is toxic for a temporary when, the, you know, the shit sprays, it's green mist everywhere. But then it's gone and you're pretty much fine. Like, but but that's the thing. He's not nobody's totally wrong. Nobody's totally he's right. Not it's fully lying. It's not what. Right. Right. Well, it's it's not the shit up on the surface that gets him into the trouble. It's the shit that happens below that that's what sets everything off. And it's like, I don't know, it's it's interesting seeing he's like, you know, you can't leave and blah, blah, blah. Well, if she wants to die, that's her fucking right. Let her go out there and die. Like, you know, I know you don't want that to happen. But at the same time, like, why do you care so much? Like, just let that person go. It's not your life. Why do you give a shit? You know, and so it kind of becomes apparent as the movie goes on like something else is going on here right no exactly 100 percent. 
Um, but yeah, at this point, I'm like thinking, well, because like even even if Emmett is lying or you know is telling the truth about what's going on up, up upstairs, he's still got this like crazy like bunker, right? And like he's kind of like already a bit of a tinfoil hat lunatic, right? Like he's 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 one of those black helicopters. Those guys. He's one of those. Right. Guys. Well, and. It, it seems like he would just need the slightest, slightest excuse to run down there and just lock all the hatches. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but yeah, so before Howard answers Michelle's questions about whether he has a family, we hear some clanging and banging. What did you do? God damn, that's scary, man. When he starts yelling, holy fuck. Um, we still haven't met. Uh, we still haven't yet met Emmett. Uh, we're only getting Michelle's uh, point of view. Uh, basically, that's the entire sort of film right like the i love that whatever michelle sees we see and all the revelations that we get are via michelle like i kind of love that you know that element of storytelling it's fantastic um michelle wakes up to the sound of a car engine above her and her room door open she walks outside and bumps into emmett and this is where you know we as the audience and also michelle start doubting um the credibility of howard's story right oh hell yeah you're like dude this guy's a fucking whack job but well, it's also where we're questioning it, but then you're like, well, who's this dude? Like, why are you down here? Like, he seems so normal right off the rip. He's very, he's like the antithesis to, to um, oh God, John Howard. Goodman's character. Oh, fuck, Howard, Jesus. Um, he seems like such the antithesis that it's kind of like, oh, okay. Then, yeah, I, I kind of, this, whatever this guy says, I have a little bit more of an inclination to believe it. But at the same time, he kind of comes across as like this dumb redneck. So you're like, ah, you know, this guy seems like he might be into InfoWars kind of shit. <laughs> like, you don't know. You like, well, it can be easily duped, like, kind of people, you know? No, exactly. Like, he seems, yeah, exactly. So, because Emmett says, like, you know, he thinks he's been down here for a couple of days, and he kind of reveals that he's buying into Howard's story about the contamination, and then Howard appears and tells Emmett that he knocked over a shelf with a whole week's supply of food. Um, and this is where I just kind of wrote down, man, God, like, he's got... John Goodman has just such great screen presence. Like, it's just, it's it's no, to me, it's not a surprise, like, with how well, uh, like, how well of a career he's made himself. Like, John Goodman is just such an absolute, every time he appears in a movie, I'm like, oh, John Goodman. Like, you know, in Atomic Blonde and shit, like, he's just, he's awesome. Yeah, John, th- nobody said anything, but he ate that week's worth of food. <laughs> and uh, he blamed it and, on Emmett. <laughs> right. It makes you think of that family guy where he's like, you can have what's left over. They're like, there's never anything left over. Oh, my God, dude. That is one of my favorite cutaways in that show, dude. (laughs) Like, that's it's like, I think I think the way they set it up is like, is Peter like being like, oh, yeah, this is like um, this is like Christmas, Christmas at the Goodman's. And it's just like John Goodman at the head of the table just eating. And then one of the kids like reaches out for a turkey. He's like, I told you you can have what's left. Well, and it always like anytime you see somebody who's that heavy set and like in a, a post-apocalyptic movie, I'm like, hey, kill that person because <laughs> they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, they are gonna be, they're gonna slow you down. They're gonna, they're gonna end up, end up taking twice the rations. Like, just fucking kill that. You person. can live inside his ribs like a tauntaun, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Howard takes Michelle out to the common area, um, and we can see that he's prepared for a long stay, right? Fully functional kitchen. DVDs, games, furniture, dude's fucking prepared. Um, notably, Michelle stumbles in, with the crutches and Howard uh, barks at Emmett, who tries to hold her up. No touching, he says. Um, and, and at this point... Yeah, that's well, weird. I mean, like, at this point, uh, you know, this is before we find out anything about the daughter, about Megan. Um, at this point, I'm like, does he want her... Okay, very darkly. Is this, like, a sexual thing that Howard wants Michelle for? Is that what it is? But, you know. I don't... I. I I I think I think it's first the jump, daughter maybe thing. yeah it's 
Right. I sorry. Go on. Go right. On. No, you're right. No, no, no. You're right. It's 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 a it's a hey that that's my daughter. Don't right. you know? Don't talk, you don't touch my daughter that way. You know. That's 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 what I got from it. I mean, like, but obviously we don't find that information out until much much later. So at this point, I'm kind of thinking this is as he kind of wants her, right? And I'm just like, that's creepy. Um. But yeah, he takes her to the bathroom in his own room. Super awkward. I can't trust you not to <laughs> burn the place down. This is for my own safety, he says as he stands there. Um, we get a quick shot of a surviving doomsday book, and we get a look at the duck curtain, which is going to come back. Uh, so Emmett sees a stack, a stack of magazines belonging to Megan, who's, quote, not with us anymore. Uh, the lights dim. Marcel suggest, suggests it's a car, but Howard scoffs at the idea. There's nobody left to call. He's got a radio set up and nothing's coming through. He tries to defend his paranoia. Crazy is building your arc after the flood has already come. What a great quote, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. It's not as much as it sounds paranoid just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. No, you know? absolutely. And then we go and meet Frank and Mildred, right? They go up to the entrance of the bunker, which is two massive double doors. He says it's the closest I could get to an airlock. And Michelle peers outside and sees the two dead pigs rotten away, surrounded by flies. And Howard says it's the air that killed him. Uh, just before she leaves, she spots the uh, pickup truck that ran off the road, damage and all. And uh, Emmett chats with Michelle. She asks uh, what he knows about Howard, who says he was in the Navy, working with satellites. Satellite stuff, <laughs> is what he says. Um, he, brought this, he bought this property a while back, and Howard hired Emmett to help him set it up. He's a black belt in conspiracy theory. She's surprised because she thought Howard kidnapped him, but Emmett was trying to get in, right? That that was like, that was a big part for me because it's like this maybe his maybe Howard's not as crazy as we think because we we kind of see we kind of see that Emmett's on the level like Emmett's not a crazy person so for a normal person to trust Howard it's kind of okay so maybe Howard's not that bad Do you know what I mean? Right? Yeah, I, I think this is where the doubt ends up coming in because think think about like in a natural situation like this you would automatically be on the fence what the fuck are you talking about you crazy person there's no evidence of this i see the outside world you know there's no there's not any fight it's not desolate it's not book of eli what the fuck and then you know you have a person there who's like oh no i'm here like voluntarily like i i you know i had to beg to get in here and i saw the attack and you're like well now what do i think because this dude is so relaxed and nice and smiling and just calm and really go with the flow that you know, he is, like I said, he's the antithesis, uh, you know, he's the antithesis of, uh, oh, God damn it. Why do I keep, his, I keep wanting to say Walter. I keep wanting to say fucking Walter from Big Lebowski. <laughs> nice. he, he is the antithesis of Howard. Um, so it's, it, it, it's the right person to, to believe that. Like if it were flipped and, you know, Howard was this, Hey, what's going on? Yeah, I saved you, blah, blah, blah. And then you had this stone cold, you know, dead fucking, you know, Oh no, it's, I saw the attack, blah, blah, blah. Like, if you saw that, it would be the the flip would just be a little bit a little bit more weird, you know. But because he's the nice guy delivering it, it's easy easier for us to digest. No, absolutely, and, and like that that's again what you just said. That's when the the doubt sets in because I, I need I need to know whether whether Howard the information he's giving is credible. And I mean, like that's the ultimate premise of this movie, right? Like it's like, do we trust Howard? And yeah. I mean, any evidence to suggest the contrary is, uh, yeah, fucked up. But uh, she tells Emmett that Howard abducted her. The purpose of the shelter is a lie. But Emmett says he physically saw the attack, saw the explosion, like something you read about in the Bible. And uh, he fought his way into the bunker, right? Goddamn. <laughs> this is some crazy fucking evidence that we're hearing here. 
Goodman, dude, first time I saw this movie, Goodman gave me a damn good jump scare here. How do you know the air is contaminated? Because I told him. Dinner's ready. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking creepy, dude. And then we get the awkward dinner scene, right? He opens up the two drinks of the bottle opener attached to his keychain. He talks about Megan a bit more, right? Megan was a good cook. You'll love to learn cooking. What the fuck? What? Right, the yeah. Fuck? Right, and I, I'd love if he's just like, uh, just like, um, <laughs> I'm not going to be your daughter. He's like, no, just, you know, because you're a woman, right? You know, women do that shit. Like, just love to see, like, every, like Emmett looking at him and be like, dude, you've changed. Like, some, like some really crazy, like, <laughs> make him seem like this old prick. She walks into the kitchen and she sees, like, half, like, like half made sandwiches and she's like he's like I don't remember how to do it I needed a woman I needed a woman to finish the sandwiches <laughs> oh dude he's like I always I always got to the second part I never had to do the first <laughs> exactly I couldn't put the other slice on top just didn't work for me uh, Emma talks about tattoos and how he always wanted one and goddamn John Gallagher is great here dude just trying to deflate the tension um, oh yeah as Emma's talking about this we see Howard just kind of staring at Michelle right like he's He's looking at her reactions to Emmett's jokes and it's Michelle just kind of like laughing at her, at, at his jokes. And, you know, this is, as we, as we can see in Howard's face, this is not something that he enjoys, right? He's not, he doesn't want her seeing, sorry, he doesn't want to see her laughing at Emmett's jokes. Right, yeah. Again, it's that, uh, it's that unbelievably controlling part of, of what's going on, you know? And I think, that, I think that Howard is looking at Michelle watching Emmett but then Michelle starts watching Howard watch her, and she kind of notices that. And then you can tell she's like, "Oh, can you pass the salt? Yeah, like, can you pass the pepper?" And then they kind of touch hands, and she knows she's she's just as smart as Howard is, if not smarter. She's like, <clears throat> where she's where how she can defeat Howard is the fact that she's cool, she's she's level headed, and she's intelligent. Like Howard is very intelligent, but he's not cool headed at all, and she uses that to to her advantage. No, dude, Howard just absolutely explodes here. But before we get to that, I just want to mention this quick joke. I love like how. Uh, Emmett's just like you're going, you're going on a pilgrimage to Waco, <laughs> like that. Oh yeah, dude. but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, man. Like she, you know, she asks for the pepper. She touches Emmett's hand, and then boom! It's like a fucking explosion, dude. Like Goodman is just absolutely incredible here, right? Like he says he knows what a traitor looks like, and that she's ungrateful, and he basically he wants to he wants her to apologize, which she does. Um, it, it, like dude, the invasion of personal space here is just. So incredibly unsettling. It's just so well shot. And just his his frame, right? Like his massively heavy set frame against her kind of like slight petite frame. Just so well fucking done. Well, and I think what's interesting here is um do, in all honesty, the two of these people, if she doesn't have a bum leg and he doesn't have a bum arm, they fuck this dude up. Like no problem. I, I really do think that. I think that Emmett's overweight. He's not Emmett. God damn it. Howard's Howard. overweight. He's older. He he lets his temper get a hold of him. Like I just I don't I I see them fucking him up. So I think that they have to have those handicaps there because I mean they could easily fuck this dude up. I I I I think so. They would let that temper do its magic. I'd be and, I'd be um, with you if he didn't have the gun. I think I'd be with you on that. If right. He didn't have the gun. That's the thing. You would have to strike at like that perfect moment and have one person going to the blow to distraction and the other person going to get the gun. But. What I think is interesting is, um, you know, when he's, <clears throat> um, like you said, that that inversion, that uh, invasion of like personal space, uh, it made me think about the fact that, 
you know, he keeps saying, oh, you know, you need to show me a little appreciation. I saved your life. I say, you know, I did this, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, you know, why don't you just, if I'm if I'm so ungrateful, if I'm so unappreciative, why don't you just let me get the fuck out of here then? Why don't you just let me go? And he won't. And it's it's like, you know, I, I'd love if somebody were like, if we're just so ungrateful, then just fucking let me out of here, you know, but he doesn't. And that's that's what's so interesting about it is like, you want to you want to act like a fucking dick the whole time and not let anybody out of here. But then at the same time, you want them to, like, suck your cock for you letting them in here in the first place. It's right. so it's so strange. No, it is. It is definitely weird. I never thought about it like that. Good point. Good point. <laughs> See, sometimes you do bring some damn good points to the podcast. Lucky to have you. Hey, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, just just FYI, I've had a stomach bug for the last 24 hours. I've been shitting water. So I'm surprised my brain has not turned into crap either. I'm like, hey, I actually made a good point. Boom. Shitting water. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> new band new band name, call it. Yep, that's a t-shirt right there. Shitting water. Uh, <laughs> shitting water by Midnight Double Feature. <laughs> yeah, Midnight Double Feature, fresh, freshly squeezed and shitting water. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, moving on. Um, the tension here, dude, is so great. I love, like, because he, sa- he grabs his bottle and says, you have to stay hydrated. And he just pr- plays around with the bottle and, you know, you kind of like, you know that she's taken his keys at this point. So, and you also know that he has to reach down to his belt line and grab the keys, right? To undo his new bottle. So at what point is he going to do this? And at what point is he going to realize? And that there's just amazing setup and amazing payoff, I think. Um, he does reach down. Michelle hears the car overhead and just makes a break for it. Dude. Bottle to the face. Yeah, I like that. Again, it's just it's you 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 know use what you got, and what you got is <clears throat> you know a couple of uh a couple of uh oh god what's the fucking term that I heard um uh, you know a couple of um hobo hobo knife fights going on here you know where you break you break <laughs> the fucking bottle and have one like right on you know um again she's using what she's got, got right there. Not only that, you but. Right, there you go, the Irish snipe. She she busts him in the face with that bottle, and then not only that, she flips the shit over so he can't get to her right. as fast, you know? No, absolutely. Um, but yeah, she gets to the door and is able to get through the first door. She spots the car with its headlights on as Howard pleads not to do this. And then, boom, the woman appears, deformed face, begging to be let in. And uh, at this point, I'm just like, what the fuck is happening? What the fuck is happening in this movie? She's begging her, like they- banging on the door, trying to convince Michelle that it barely touched her. It barely touched her. And uh, yeah, Michelle backs off, right? Yeah, well, and they have to really, if you look this woman up, what she looks like, she's fucking hot. Like they have to, <laughs> they have to like, they have to really make her look, you know, grotesque in this. Um, but again, yeah, it, it, it's kind of, it's it's just so interesting because it's like, yeah, the air is apparently, you know, not breathable, but wouldn't this woman just be like melting in front of their eyes? Right. Like when you start thinking about it, like, you know, it's kind of like when you go when you're playing Fallout 4 and you go south and you start hitting the real you know, toxic parts of that place. It's like, dude, that shit will kill you in a matter of minutes. Like this lady's obviously been alive long enough to get in her car, drive here, know that they're there. And she's like banging on the door and shit. So it's like, well, what the fuck is going on? Um, so yeah, that's, 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 what's interesting about it is, you know, yes, it adds, it adds credence to what Howard has been saying, but it also opens so many more doors to me when I was watching this. It's like, even though I partially know the ending to this, I don't know the details and seeing this woman answered questions, but unloaded a lot more for me. And I was like, whoa, wait, what, why, how? And I was just like, hold on. No. Yeah, absolutely. It's to me, man, it's like fantastic storytelling, right? Like it answered questions and it raised some new ones. Um, I, I didn't really focus too much on like 
what um what the effects of the fallout were because i don't know where like which direction she's coming from i don't know where this farmhouse is situated um i don't know the level of like potency the of the radiation like i don't know any of these things like i don't know do you know what i mean like do you do you know what i'm getting out here like she could have approached from the other side where a nuclear bomb could not have gone off anyway i don't know I don't know. Like, I, there's just so many like variables. Right. I mean, they could be in a in a safe zone. You right. know, they, they could be in a spot that was totally away. I mean, from what you can tell, you don't see any birds, you don't see any planes, you don't see any outside life. It's like you could be out in the middle of the fucking boonies and and never have any idea that this bomb even came close. You know. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, um, Alan Michael Pauls is going to hate us because you just missed an opportunity. You said. You don't see any birds, you don't see any planes, and you could have just said you don't see any Superman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't see any you don't see any chiseled teens running through cornfields <laughs> learning how to fly. Exactly. Uh, cut to Michelle back in her room defeated. Howard's changing the light bulb and confesses that he crashed into her car on purpose. When he found out about the attack oh sorry, he crashed into her car accidentally. When he found out about the attack, he was driving negligently as he tried to get back to his bunker. He was afraid to tell her and he apologizes. At this point, we have to give some we we have to give Howard some credibility, right? Because like he's apologized and he's owned up to something, like he's being honest about something. So now the needle's kind of like drifting a little bit the other way, right? He has completely switched gears, and I think that, <clears throat> but I because I think that again, he's an intelligent person, but he's also manipulative, and I think that um, it, because it's so interesting, like it almost ends up being too good of a coincidence that he happens to hit this. You know, that he hits this woman's car and then then the bombs fall. Part of me feels like, you know, he sees he sees Michelle and he's like, oh, it'd be nice to, you know, have somebody else. And then the bombs hit and he's like, fuck it. This is my chance. Might as well just go for it. Part of me is like, does he does he do it? And it's just a coincidence that coincidence that the bombs fall or is it actually like an accident that he hits her car? Like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm still kind of foggy on that because. He just so happens to hit her car on purpose when the bombs fall. Like, I don't know. It's it. it I could I can still believe that it's like an accident. You know, part of part of it to me can still believe that. But it's it's a little bit more of a stretch. It's just because there's not a clear cut answer there. But he what you getting back to what you just said is exactly right. He's got to switch gears here at this point because he's done the whole mystery, ominous. Everybody's going to die and the flesh gets turned inside out like that weird gas in the Treehouse of Horror Simpson episode. Um, you know, it's, it, but it, it's, it's kind of, he's got to switch gears now and he's got to play that side of like, you know, I'm sorry, this is really what happened. I was not honest with you. You know, he kind of, kind of comes across as honesty is very important to me and I was not honest with you and I should have been honest with you. Uh, and it's, it's really interesting because, but, but he's also at this moment, the biggest sign is, uh, actions speak louder than the words. He's like, I need your help. I need you to do this for me. And it's, I need you to stitch my head back up. Like that is a huge sign of the olive branch being passed over to the other person, you know? Right. He could, he could stitch himself up. Are you fucking kidding me? He could do that in a minute. That is a total sign of trust. No, no, he can absolutely stitch himself up, but we also have to take into account what else is doing here. And that's him giving her Megan's clothes. This is like the first kind of like instance where he's um, actively trying to make Michelle Megan. Right. Like, so, you know, him kind of like patching things up with her, him kind of like showing I trust her. He's trying to to make her sympathize. Right. Like he's trying to make her get comfortable with him. That's that's what I got from it. Right. Well, the real twist when we come out, when we come to find out that Howard was blind the whole time at the end of the movie, it's just incredible. Uh, no, I'm just <laughs> but yeah, he distills his own vodka. Uh, Howard talks about his old days as a Navy officer. 
he offers her a drink and they get to it. Uh, get to the stitching, right? Sorry, not, not anything else. <laughs> Uh, Howard talks about how Megan, his daughter, wanted to be an artist. She inhaled books, loved Paris, um, and Howard is genuinely endearing here. Uh, he seems like someone who has actually suffered loss, right? He says, people are strange creatures. You can't always convince them that safety is in their best interest. So, yeah, essentially we find out that, you know, his his wife ran off with her daughter, or his daughter uh, because he was fucking nut. He's a nutcase, essentially. Right, yeah. Now, is this the part where he's like, where he says something about um, the the you know the locks on people's doors and the security systems in their houses? It's a really good quote, but I can't remember if it's right here or I if think it's like it's a little here. bit later I think on. It's you here. Know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No that that was a really good quote because he's like, you know, you people wear seatbelts and you lock your doors, but when those things go off, you're the, you know you're you basically deny them when they, when the shit really hits the fan. And he's like, but I look like the crazy person because I went that extra yard, basically. And it's like, damn, that's a fucking good point, you know? Yeah. Alex Jones will be super proud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the fucking terrorists are going out to kill all of our kids, and they're going to swap them out with rabid human pig embryos. Yeah. I've seen the camps. I've seen the camps. <laughs> nice. I, see, I don't know if you're doing Alex Jones or Jesse Ventura. I'm not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> either way, either way, the blood pressure is like 220 over like 100. Yeah. It's like the blood pressure is just through the, the roof. The veins in your heads are just popping out of this, your skull. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we also learned that Michelle wanted to design clothes, right? Very important. Uh, Michelle and Emmett throw, talk through the wall. Um, this scene is really well done, by the way. Um, these two actors are just fantastic, yeah. man. Holy shit. They talk about their regrets. Emmett was accepted into college, and when it come, came time to leave... He got cold feet, got wasted, and missed the bus. Didn't buy a ticket for the next one or the following buses. Well, if he'd gone, you'd be dead by now, says Michelle. <laughs> right. And uh, Emmett considers himself lucky. Now, do you ever watch the Everything Wrong With channel on YouTube? The guy was like, everything wrong with this movie, everything wrong. And it's yeah, funny. Cinema it's Sense. not meant to be really. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember the actual name of the YouTube channel. Now, he does this movie. And just for shits and gigs, I watch it. Just for shiggles. You know, I decided to watch it. Uh, and he, this part is so fucking funny because he's like, oh, they have a conversation that totally didn't need to ha- didn't need to happen on opposite sides of a concrete wall, and everyone can hear each other just fine. And I fucking laugh my ass off so hard, like. But I do. I, I love the contrast of you know, obviously he's facing one way, she's facing the other, but the blue and the darkness surrounding him, and then the pink and the light kind of surrounding her. It's a it's a good bit of uh, it's a good bit of imagery, you know. But it's all it's almost got this kind of uh, almost like imagery foreshadowing in a way that like things are not going to wind up well for Emmett, but for her, you know, it's, it's the grass is greener, like it's brighter literally on the other side. I was like, there's something about that, that I, that I really like. And I really dig. No, it's, it's absolutely correct, dude. Like, I mean, whenever, um, because M. Night Shyamalan does a lot of this, like he always works with colors, like, you know, specifically clothing. Um, and and this, this feels ominous, like in terms of Emmett, right? Like you, you kind of like get the sense that something's, something's going to happen. And whenever, you know, whenever characters go into kind of like long sort of like monologue soliloquies like these, then that's not really a good sign, is it? <laughs> well, no, and, you know, I'm going to say something too here. I love that there's no romantic bullshit yes, between the two of thank them. Thank you. I love that. And and I'm not going to lie, they're both two very pretty people. Like Emmett's, Emmett's a handsome man. Mary Elizabeth Winsett is fucking gorgeous. You could absolutely see it happening. And I think this scene... 
if 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 it goes any further, you know, if this if they were to stay down there for like years and all this other stuff, I, I think that it's logical to see the two of them like, hey, you know, we're roughly the same age. He's not 55 years old and 400 pounds overweight. Like, you know, this could kind of work. Uh, but I just I like the fact that that's that's never even an option on the table. It's it's almost kind of like. I don't know. It's it's it becomes more of a thing of like siblings versus the father in a weird way. Like it it it, ha- it has this very kind of you know um, kind of turning on the family like kind of thing. And it and I say that only in the terms of like um, where Howard is like you know we're a family. This is going to be our family. But they just kind of rebuke that, and and I like that a lot. Right, the acting out the, because yeah. I right. Well, I mean, when you look at the camera, Sue, boy, girl, blue, pink. It's kind of like there's something about that to me that just screams like a sibling-esque kind of relationship. Yeah. Love it. Fucking hell. You're on fire today, dude. You should shit water more often. Oh, yeah. I know. Right. We got to take a break here in a minute because I got to go shit some water. No, I'm just kidding. We, we actually, <laughs> I'm, feel, I'm feeling we, a lot better we now. We actually are taking a break very, very soon. Um, <laughs> just just before just before we do, though, I, I, wanted, I don't want to skip past this one last moment here in this conversation. Um, Michelle talks about this little girl with her dad, right? And like, kind of like, this is the writers kind of giving us a reason as to how Michelle, you know, came to be the way that she is. She's a very proactive, very resourceful young woman. Um, she tells this story about this girl she saw, um, basically the dad kept yanking on her arm very roughly. Um, she says she knows that feeling her dad was physical and she relied on her brother, Colin. <laughs> she thought she could do that. Oh, yeah. Be the Colin for the little girl. But she just kept watching and didn't take action. The girl's father ends up hitting her. Michelle did what she always does and when things get hard and she panicked and ran, right? I mean, like, that That kind of, like, says, hey, you, you've you changed, right? Like, well, you have, to, you have to change in order to survive this. So, yeah, I think that's a perfect Yeah, I, I like that. I, I like that scene, but at the same time, it makes me laugh of him. It's like, really? That's... I, I shared one of the biggest mistakes in my life, and that's all you got for me, some kid in the store. Like, it, it kind of made me laugh. Like, I, I get it. It's it's still a good setup for her character, and it and she does talk about her family, like, in that way. So, it, you know, we kind of get a foot in both worlds, but it did crack me up, and it's like, ah, well, fuck me, I guess. Jesus, lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. John Gallagher Jr. is just fucking fantastic here. Um, and both, act, both actors are fucking on fire here, man. This might be one of my favorite scenes of the movie, actually. Um, you know, this this is a movie that's full of tension, full of, like, you know, technically crazy action sequences, but not really action. But in terms of acting, this is my um, standout scene. Um, all right, man, this is about halfway. What do you reckon about taking a break right here? Sounds good, buddy. Awesome. Guys, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Tan Cloverfield Lane. afternoon and evening wherever the hell you are thanks so much for listening to this episode guys just while we're taking a quick break here i am going to plug some shit no it's not advertising it's nothing paid it's basically just kind of self-masturbatory stuff basically follow us follow us on our socials we have two pages on facebook called midnight double feature obviously and then we have our main group which is called the after party which is fantastic our community loves to engage there uh, and we that's our main way to communicate with our audience please follow the after party that's a fantastic page and please follow us on instagram which is admin on double feature and 
Twitter, which is at MDFPod. Um, you can listen to us anywhere on iTunes, anywhere on Spotify, on YouTube, wherever. Um, and if there's no way that you can listen to us on your device, please, please, please let us know by getting in touch with us. You can do that by sending us an email, which is midnightdoublefeature at gmail.com. Now, last but certainly not least, please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. We would love to get your guys' feedback, whether it's positive or negative. Um, just please remember to, you know, put a star and let us know in your little speech bubble thingy what you think of us and where we can improve. That would be fantastic. Guys, thank you so much for listening to my little rant here and back to the show, I guess. See you later. What's up, guys? We are back. We are freshly squeezed. Colin, what's going on? You still with me? Oh, yeah. Freshly squeezed and freshly shitted. I'm good to go. Freshly shitted. Nice. Uh, All right. We're jumping right back into 10 Cloverfield Lane. We uh, get a little bit of a montage to show the passing of time, but also get a sense of the comfort all three develop between one another, right? Like they play, like they put together puzzles, they play board games, make food together, watch VHSs. I, I do, I do, I do wish the song had just been like stuck in the middle with you. Nice. I don't know. There's nice. something about that. I wish it. I wish it had been that song. Fucking uh, Michael Madsen's walking around with like a blade, just like, like with a with a random ear. Yeah, him holding nice. the ear, being like, uh, "Can you hear me?" <laughs> nice. Uh, Emma checks out the drawing that Michelle is working on. Suggests she consider post-apocalyptic fashion. Uh, they hear rumbling again. Sounds like helicopters. Could be helicopters, but not the U.S. Army. Howard suggests that these are ground sweeps following the blasts. What they just heard were airborne patrols sent to hunt down the remaining signs of life. Yeesh. That's a lot to infer from. Right. I'm just right. saying. I'm like, I mean, it, there's no possible way it could just be normal helicopter. Like, I don't know. That's just, that's one of the leaps. I was like, okay, 14 years of Navy. I get it. I understand that. But like, still though, like, holy shit, if that's you- a lot to infer. Right, it feels like he's making it up. Like, if you have an inkling that Howard is a liar, then this is like kind of like a little more evidence that he is lying, right? Like, this is just like, well, this is clearly a lie. <laughs> well, and I want to ask you something too, and not to jump too far ahead, but um, it's just because I see it over his shoulder in this scene. We see the the radio, like the CB radio or yeah. whatever the fuck it is. And then at the end, the, those messages are loud and clear where that woman's like, hey, we have, you know, you can go here and be safe or you can come here and fight. Is is Howard just not getting those or is he is he deliberately on a channel where they can't like get to it? And like what 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 was your interpretation of that? You know, I never really considered that. Um, I, I I think um, I, it, it's it's a possibility because she drove kind of far away uh, or like, you know, she drove to a different location where she's probably able to pick something up. Um, right, and they're underground, so it might be yeah, kind of harder to, yeah. Exactly, they're underground, and, like, you know, it's a possibility that there, there are, like, alien ships, like, directly above them, whereas, like, where she was when she picked up that radio signal at the end, she wasn't really necessarily near um, an alien craft. Like, she was kind of headed towards one, but, yeah, that's, I don't know. I didn't really think about it that much. Um, I, You know what, if, if he... That that would be a really cool element if he was kind of like deliberately not receiving messages. That would be really cool. But I don't right. really have any evidence to kind of like support that unless, you know, it's just another like tidbit that the filmmakers are like, well, here you go. Right. I, I wonder if it's <clears throat> like if there had been a thing of her going for the radio and she realizes it's like cut, you know, like Annie Wilkes with the empty phone, like that kind of shit, then it would be like, yeah, that's 100% solidified, right. you know. Right. Exactly. 
Um, Howard does something here that I hate in films, dude. So the alarms go off and he's like, oh, that's bad. And then like the next shot of them is like downstairs when he figures out the air filtration system is down and he finishes his sentence there. He's like, and that's worse. Like, you know what I mean? It's like in speed. Oh, I like that. Well, like, okay, but is he realistically like pausing his sentence mid-sentence and then finishing it when he goes downstairs? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I. it's just kind of <laughs> one of those like... We pick up the magic wand of movie bullshit and sprinkle it over right. the movie, and it's like it's cool. I like it strictly for the editing. That's that's what I love. Yeah. Is no, editing wise, it's great. Realistically, it's just like, all right, guys, hold on, just one sec. I got to finish my sentence downstairs. Just bear with me one sec. Remember what I said. <laughs> oh yeah, that's it, it, it. Always makes me think of like the Batman movies when someone's like, "Well, what are we gonna do?" And they turn around and he's just gone. So I wonder <laughs> when they turn their backs, is he just like perched like one, two, and just jumps like right at the opportune times or something? That's great. Um, they have to turn the system back on. Uh, to do that, Michelle has to crawl through the vent and restart the air filtration system. Um, and man, this shit, I hate this shit because it just, I can feel my claustrophobia just kicking in, dude, when she's like writhing her, her way through the through the vents. Ugh, dude, just get me the fuck out of there, dude. Um, well, and there's, there's something interesting. Uh, yeah, the claustrophobia there is very, it's very diehard to me also. Um, but when she gets into this room, the thing I love is uh, there's this piece of mail on the floor. And when you see her kind of shuffling around, and it actually says Howard Stambler, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Charles, Louisiana. And you're like, oh, cool. Like it was actually right there in front of you for like half a second. But then the company, let me, it's kind of hard to read. Hold on just a second. It's um, Tagarudo or Tegarudo company. I think they're actually mentioned in like Cloverfield and shit in the universe of Cloverfield. Because from what I understand, and this is just my limited YouTubing and stuff before we did this episode was the reason Cloverfield happened is they were drilling for like oil in the ocean and they hit the Cloverfield monster. It's not, it's not like a, it, maybe it is some alien thing, but it's been doing like a Pacific rim. Like it's like down in the earth or whatever. And I'm pretty sure that's the company that hits the Cloverfield monster. And they apparently use like they they did a lot of like, um, what is it? Uh, the, it's like augmented reality kind of games for shit like this. Uh, and I looked it up and there was a bunch like, yeah, yeah, well, it's kind of, it was before VR though. I can't remember. It's like ARG something. I can't remember reality game or something, augmented reality game, but it goes through all this stuff. And there's like a timeline of Howard building the, the, where like the bunker, there's a bunch of different things of like him talking about like his wife taking the kid and then what he calls Megan prime being allocated. And you're like, Oh shit, that's the Britney girl, you know? And you're like, Oh fuck. Um, but they did a lot of that stuff, like you were mentioning at the top of the episode, this this crazy viral marketing campaign that they would do. And this company would use part of what they found in the ocean to make the slusho drinks and stuff like just from and I might be I might be. Yeah, this is not the 100 percent of the details on it. This is just kind of the general idea that I got. Um, but I'm pretty sure that company is actually the one that's it's kind of like Waylon yutani Like, I'm pretty sure they're the ones responsible for drilling and, and hitting the Cloverfield monster in the ocean and stuff. That's pretty cool. I I'd never knew any of that. Um, I, if I had to take a guess, the well, what is it, the Tagarita, Tagarita company? Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's, uh, hold on, it's like T-O-G-U-T-R-A, Tagarita, I, I can't okay. pronounce it that well. Uh, but because they're in... From my, like, it, it, sounds, it sounds Japanese, right? Like, like from well, my it says, it, Yeah, it says Tokyo, Japan, yeah. Okay, yeah, because like from my recollection... And this, I might be completely off base here, or off track. The in the first film, 
they're having a party for the main character who is moving to Japan, right? I think from memory. Um, and right. I think it's because he got a new job in Japan. And I'm not sure if, you know, that's the company he works for or some shit. Um, but I, like, I, this is like, I haven't seen this movie in ages, by the way. Like, that's all I remember. So, yeah. And like from that, from memory, I believe Abrams and Reeves put that in because it was kind of like a reference to, um, you know, kaiju, like, you know, Godzilla and like obviously where, you know, it's Tokyo, right? So Japanese monsters. Right. I'm looking on the Cloverfield fandom, like wiki page that it has is a tag, uh, T-A-G-R-U-A, tag, Tagaruda, I guess, I guess that's how you pronounce that, is a Japanese mining company owned by Ganu Yoshida with oil rigs in the Atlantic, Pacific, Arctic, and Indian Oceans using what they call groundbreaking deep-sea drilling technology. Um, they also own subsidiaries that deal in deep-sea genetic research, uh, advancing technology, paraffin wax byproducts, blah, 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 and a cold beverage company called Slusho. So, yeah, it, um, the Tagaruda company recently announced that one, uh, one of their Atlantic... Ocean oil rigs uh, has suffered an unknown altercation that an eco-terror cell, eco cell is responsible for the disturbance. So there you go. Um, Damn. That, right. So, it's like, there's all these kind of things that are connecting it of, you're right, the guy in Cloverfield is going to be the vice president of the, I think, the Slusho company, I'm pretty sure. and But the Tagarudo company is the one who owns Slusho. So it's all kind of connected in these small little ways. But I just thought it was interesting of, like, just on that quick piece of mail, we see where the title comes from, and we also see a connection to the original Cloverfield film. I didn't mean for this to ramble to go on that long, but I was like, <laughs> boom, here's this little thing. Another little thing is actually, um, oh, God, what's his name? He's in um, he's in the show Gotham, and he was in Ghost Rider. He grounded for life. He's in Zodiac. Uh, Brasco? Brasco? I can't remember his name. Um, but he's he's a fucking he's a fucking great actor. Um, but he he's in it for um, for just a minute in the Cloverfield paradox, and he's doing an interview, and his last name is actually um, sorry. What is this? What is the fuck? Is I'll, I'll look it up. Just just keep going. Donald Logue, that's his name. Oh Thank yeah, you. he's awesome. Yeah, he's in right. Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Right. Donald Donald Logue is in there and they're doing an interview with him. And I can't remember his first name, but his, but his last name is the same. Um, it's the it's the Stambler. It's his last name is hmm. the same as as like as uh, I keep wanting to say Walter as fucking Howard. So I just thought it's interesting. There's all these different connections, like just from that one piece of paper, you know, that's cool, man. Like, uh, I definitely really like the world building. Um, and, you know, I, I know usually I'm not a fan of it, like happening kind of like not in film, like, you know, if it's. If it's, if it's kind of like in marketing, then I'm just like, eh, I don't know. But Cloverfield, for some reason, it seems to work. Like, I, I dig it. I dig it. Right. Well, there's little things sprinkled throughout it. Like, there, when you're watching the first Cloverfield movie, there's interviews that are in Japanese, and you can't understand it, but the logo of the Tagarudo company is up, and it's these hands holding, like, a heart or something, and you can totally see it. And you're like, holy shit. And then they do that interview with Donald Logue and Cloverfield Paradox. It's like a big part of the movie. And it says like, so-and-so Dr. Stambler. I was like, oh shit. So like, it's actually the, the yeah, the campaign shit is kind of like, well, if you don't put it in the movie, how the fuck am I supposed to know that? Um, but when it's actually in the movie, yeah, I'm like, holy hell, that's that's cool. You just kind of have to have that little bit of a watchful eye for it. Yeah. I remember Abrams doing something, something kind of similar for Super 8, but I can't really put my finger on what it is. But yeah. He's 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 a fucking master when it comes to this kind of stuff, dude. Like he's really good at um at advertising his films. Um, but yeah, she gets to the unit and restarts the system before she leaves, and she finds a ladder leading up to a skylight. She heads up and looks at the blue sky, tries to open the hatch, but it's padlocked. 
amazing pants shitting reveal as she sees the etching of the word help. Fuck. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. She heads back down and finds something. We don't know what it is yet, but in the next scene, it's uh, Michelle whispering to Emmett saying that Howard lied and she thinks that he did something horrible to Megan and she finds earrings with blood on them. Right. This is that kind of like also pants shitting reveal that um, (laughs) it's not Megan. Right. The photo. It's a missing girl Emmett used to go to school with. uh, And I'm just like, what in the world? Like the, the earrings match the ones the girl is wearing in the photo. Uh, they find a photo inside a book of the girl wearing the same goddamn shirt that Michelle is yeah. wearing with Howard wrap, wrapping his arm around her. Like, at this point, it's just like, what the fuck is happening? Right. Well, and, and part of me, the biggest question I had at the end of this movie was, like, what happened to that girl? Like, if this, like this, so this is, like, Megan 2.0. This is the Britney girl who, like, disappeared. So, obviously... You know, Howard abducted her after his family went missing, you know, or whatever. But, like, what ultimately happened to her? And then we see later on with the vat. With the, the acid. Tub. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, shit. Okay. So it kind of took me a minute of, like, I don't mind this with these movies, though. Sometimes there's some shit that gets left out that I got to Google and I'm kind of annoyed. But, like, I didn't hit this, like, right away of, like, well, wait, what exactly happened to her? And then, I, I mean, maybe it's just me. I wasn't, like, on top of it. And I was like, oh, wait, yeah, the vat of acid. So she didn't want to play ball and she gave up. And he was like, fuck it. I'm just going to just gonna put you in this thing of acid. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's that's fucking crazy. So basically she hit a point where she was not role playing anymore and just decided to say fuck it. And he did 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 the same basically and threw her in a vat of acid like right. fucking like who framed roger rabbit bullshit just dark as fuck by the way super dark um but i love like this scene when they kind of like figure this out and howard just <laughs> he goes up to the jukebox and he just starts dancing and the two of them are just standing there like pondering like what the fuck is going on it's great well, and i i love howard walking up the step and then he gets to the top and then he takes just a step back and keeps walking. I was like, it's nice to see a little bit of levity from him, you know? Right, exactly. I mean, like, he's got this constant grimace on his face, but like here is just like, oh, you 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 have emotions. Right. Uh, as Michelle goes to take a shower, she looks at the duck curtain and the wheels start to turn. This is where she gets the idea to construct a suit. Emmett goes to swap a pair of scissors from the kitchen and Howard's watching Pretty in Pink, Megan's favorite movie, notably. And uh, Emmett says... Emmett plays on, like, Howard's paranoia, right, which is fucking super clever. Uh, he starts planting the seed that Michelle's probably contaminated because she touched the air filtration unit. And um, I love Howard just pausing the movie as we start to see this idea take hold, right? Like, he's starting to consider this. And, uh, yeah, no, go, Colin. No, yeah, well, I was just wondering, you know, the again, this is one of those moments where he's just such a dick to Emmett, and I, I've never understood why... Like, why let Emmett in? I, I just, I don't get that. Like, I, I understand the reasons why later on for Michelle, but why do, why do you let Emmett in? You know, you wouldn't let the other woman who's your neighbor in. Like, wh- why let Emmett in? It's, it's another mouth to feed. It's another person's opinions that obviously Howard doesn't want to hear. I wish there was a little bit more, like, motivation for that because this is obviously not done out of, like, the kindness of his heart. You know what I mean? And I don't know if it was maybe it's just a thing of I respect you. You helped me build this. But he but he was like, I had to fight my way in. It's like you were able to overpower Howard. Like, I'm sorry, that's a funny sentence to say. Um, but I, I was just wondering about that. And, and it but upon like more watches of this, once you realize his intentions with Michelle, you get to understand why 
he's such a dick to Emmett the whole time. You know, it, it really kind of makes sense. But I was just wondering, like, why even, you know, he could have shot him in the head a long time ago and put, put him in the acid before Michelle even got there. So, like, why keep him around? But it kind of ends up being a thing of, like, you know, the movie needs Emmett there. The movie, the movie doesn't necessarily revolve around Emmett, but it makes it a lot harder to set this thing up when it's just two people the whole time. You know what? It's funny because I I didn't really get caught up on that much. Um, it's um, I did I do think that he did it out of the kindness of his own heart, and like I know that kind of goes against all of the evidence that we're given about Howard and the way he treats Emmett. But Emmett did help Howard build this bunker, right? Right. <laughs> so I'm just kind of thinking, like, if he helped him build this bunker, then maybe there is something there, like some like him kind of like here's your kind of like thank you, and like. The reason he brings Emmett in and in on the bunker and not the woman upstairs is because the woman's probably going to bring in a whole bunch of contamination, right? Like she's going to bring all right. that shit in. Whereas, like, I get the sense that Emmett, when he tried to enter the bunker, that was all like it, it was still going down. Like you know, the the world hadn't been contaminated yet, so he kind of let him in. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of like what I thought. Like because he did kind of help him build the bunker. That that was that was enough for me. Um, I'm not a fucking nitpicker like you, Colin. So right. <laughs> <laughs> I was just because it's like, yeah, this I is. Know. I don't know. It just struck me as strange, but yeah. the the movie really doesn't. The movie work does need him. It there. Yeah. It needs him. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So basically, uh, how it ends up disposing of the shower curtain, right? Much to the plan of the the other two, uh, which Michelle and Emmett retrieve. The music during these scenes is great, by the way, man. Like Bear Bear McCreary is the guy who does the score. Um, and it's just like, it's mostly like violins, but it's just such a great mood setter. Um, we get a little montage of Emmett and Michelle gathering items and creating the hazmat suit. Basically the plan is to get the gun away from Howard, tie him up, and one of them goes for help. They play charades. Howard has to guess what Michelle is, but, uh, it's interesting, right? Like this is, it's a little heavy handed here. Um, he's unable to guess the answer, which is woman, but, um, you know, you can kind of like see how he thinks, right? Like he says, uh, Michelle is a girl, a little princess. Um, and Emmett's like woman, right? Yeah. This, this, this whole thing is, and it also, <clears throat> this, this whole, where we're at now kind of reminds me of Iron Man with just like, 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 <laughs> like she's, she's Tony Stark and he's, uh, uh, Yesman, I think is his name. And they're trying to build it without him finding out, but ultimately they find nice. out anyways. <laughs> I was like, this, this whole thing feels like Tony Stark in that cave. <clears throat> y- Yinsen, Yinsen. Yinsen. God, yeah. I love Yinsen. Yeah, it was awesome, dude. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I also love like Howard's one of those people who can't stand being wrong. Like it's always the fault of someone else. Like remember how yes. he's like because he can't get he can't get the answer, woman. So he's like, next time try and be a little more specific. Like, you know, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, this is where Howard gets his card and lays down the "I'm always watching. I know what you're doing." Uh, so tense, by the way. Um, Emmett gets pretty defensive, but Michelle correctly guesses Santa. And, uh, you know, as I just said, he can't stand being wrong. He says, yeah, well, I'm keeping that point. Right. Yeah. You're like, God damn, dude. Like, he's one of those people that, again, he kind of strikes me as Walter, you know, from from the big Lebowski. Like, you know. Super stubborn. <laughs> yeah. Right. Your, your toe went over the line. Like, dude, it's not a league game. Like, chill out, man. It's just fun. <laughs> yeah. This person would be the worst to play Monopoly with. <laughs> Um, but yeah, later Howard gathers Michelle and Emmett, and uh, this is where we get the barrel sequence. He doesn't tell them what's in it, just tells them to move it into the bathroom. And uh, basically he reveals it's full of acid, and uh, immediately I put down Breaking Bad style. Like, I know, uh, Colin, you haven't seen Breaking Bad, right? I have not. 
Mm. Well, this isn't a spoiler for a fucking 10-year-old show, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the way they get rid of bodies is they yeah basically uh, fill up a barrel of like hydrochloric acid, hydrochloric acid and uh, just dump bodies in there so they just dissolve. Um, but yeah, man, Goodman is just fucking scary good here, dude. Like that constant frown. Um, he asks Emmett whether he thinks he's an idiot and he talks about getting rid of some waste uh, and he's found the materials. Emmett takes a fall, saying that he wanted the gun and that all he wanted to... Sorry, he wanted to make a weapon to get it from Howard, to get the gun from wife from Howard. And um, Howard says, thank you for your apology, and executes him, point blank. I did not. Th- that was like a shock to me, because it's, A, it's so quick, but then they actually have the realistic, like, deafening, deafeningly loud bang in such a small area. Uh, but, I mean, of course, she's just mortified by it, but... You know, Howard just, you know, it's nothing, you know, like not only does the sound not fuck with him, you know, the, the of what he's just done is is not a big deal, you know. But if here's the thing is, I think if you flip it, I think if you flip it and Michelle's the one who's like, I was wanting to take the gun because I'm the one who wants to be in charge, blah, blah, blah. I don't think he shoots her in the head. No, I doesn't. really absolutely not. I think he was looking right. for an excuse. Right. No. And I believe that I, I definitely do it. But, you know, and the thing is, Emmett's like excuses his 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 lie almost sounds like he's going to get away with it for a second because he kind of plays to what Howard is about. I wanted her to respect me the way she respects you. I wanted to be on your level. I wanted to ascend to the type of morality and the type of uh, wisdom and respect that you get. And that's not, you know, but that ends up not being enough. You know, even though he does accept his apology, he's like, still, though, you're a threat. You're a threat to a thing that I'm trying to forcibly build here and I, I, that's that's one thing i like so much about you know i love he's like listen to me you heard him you heard him he was gonna make a weapon he was gonna hurt us i did this to protect right. you that's my favorite like, part yeah just the way he goes over and comforts her immediately well and this is the way it was always supposed to be like what the fuck does that mm, mean yeah like that's oh man ominous man like does that mean that this is premeditated does that mean that you're you you knew about this all along, and you always knew that you were going to murder Emmett in front of in front of Michelle. Like this was this was the way it was always supposed to be. Kind of lends to some premeditation. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's like, did you always know that that Emmett was going to be like a threat? Like, you know, what what exactly does that mean? And I, I mean, I can do. Or without did you that always line. know that you were supposed to bump uh, Emmett off? At, at some point, you were supposed to kill him. Right, yeah. Well, like, what exactly does... I like? And I'm not going to lie, in hindsight, like, I can do without the line because it kind of ends up raising more questions like we're doing now than it actually answers. But at the same time, it is kind of like, yeah, like, if we don't have... If we don't have the knowledge of Britney slash Megan, of him trying to recreate this thing, then the, the line is, loses a lot of its validity to us as the viewer. But because we know about that situation now, it makes 100% like it, it, it makes it so clear, you know. So I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I could kind of do without it, but it's still cool that it's there. I want answers, Abrams. I want answers. Right. <laughs> you, you and your mystery bullshit all the time. Fuck you and your mystery box shit. Um, <laughs> later that night, Howard brings Michelle some ice cream, and uh, he's also shaved, right? And he says, "We can do whatever we want now." And uh, this is the scene where Goodman's breathing scares me, dude. It's like. <sighs> Hey, uh, can someone get the microphone away from Goodman? <laughs> That's all. We've, we've already got it back 40 feet. No, just, um, no the, the, the interesting thing about, uh, you know, the interesting thing about Howard here is the the haircut, the shave, 
the um, you know he's not wearing just like a t-shirt and like flannel you know yeah, he's got a like button a button down. up on yeah right so i think it's interesting that he's trying to have this clean cut like father figure kind of look to him now where and he's he's so less menacing unbelievably less menacing now without and, the and, and, yeah absolutely right and and he comes across as just like the guy next door you know he looks like he would be fucking you know tim allen's neighbor in home improvement you know he just looks like the nicest cleanest cut guy in the world now and i th- i mean that's not an accident no, for sure. It's it's brilliant, actually. Um, but yeah, he says that Megan always ate, ate out of the bowl, and uh, he tells Michelle that he wants them to be a happy family. And um, this all further mo- motivates Michelle, right? Because we see her continuing to work on the suit. Um, we have this scene where she hastily stuffs the gas mask into the vent, right? And the screw falls off just as Goodman's about to leave. God damn, dude. What, a, what an amazing piece of tension. Um, he saw he spots the suit from uh, peeking out from under the mattress, and this is where all hell breaks loose, right? Get up, he says. And uh, she makes a break for it, right? She locks Howard in her room, uh, and it's just, dude, insane as she walks past Emmett's dissolving body. Oh, that part was fucking rough, man. I was like, whew, like, that is really hard to fucking take a look at of just this this head and feet kind of like poking up through the, oh man. And it sucks just because like we as viewers, like, I mean, I, I mean, I'm only speaking for myself, but really like Emmett, like in this, he's the Super comedic likeable. relief. Yeah. Yeah. He's this fucking goofy guy that, you know, you wouldn't mind going and having a beer with, like he's harmless and her having to go past seeing like his fucking like body just dissolving in a, in a, in a giant toolbox. You're like, what the fuck? Um, See, for me, it's not the visual. For me, it's what I think the smell would be like. Oh, God, yeah. That would be fucking... I mean, it's such a small area as well. Mm. Um, But the the whole thing of... The the whole thing of... um, of him getting out of the room, I was like, so, so how the fuck does Howard get out of that room so quickly? You know, I know it's yeah. such a small nitpick, but I, I like to think that... that um, that John Goodman just like bum rushed the door with a shoulder and just broke it <laughs> off the hinges. <laughs> he just ate his way through. <laughs> He's just like, he just starts like, he just starts fucking hulking out in the room. <laughs> um, I, I imagine that the key, that the keys he has work both ways, maybe. Right. I mean, he built, uh, there's gotta be some fill safe right. for him and him only, you know? Right. Exactly. Um, how it manages to escape and plays the, uh, this is how you repay me card. Dude, such an amazing fist pump moment as she kicks over the vat of acid. Fuck yeah, dude. Love it. Um, and it's so, like, visually, it looks so awesome how this is shot, just how we see the acid, like, dissolving the carpet. Like, it kind of, like, creates that ring and uh, causes a fire when the lamp shorts out. Just just a really, really well-directed sequence, man. Trachtenberg did such a great job for his first film. Oh, hell yeah. Like, I, and I absolutely, I, I absolutely love that scene. Not only that, of her... Um of her like grabbing the top of the door and kind of like fucking Tarzaning her way out, like just total upper body strength, just getting her way through the room. I was like, oh, that's fucking cool. Absolutely. And uh, disfigured uh, Goodman. It looks a little CGI. It, you know, I was expecting more of like Richard Jenkins and Let Me In, you know, nice. like the face just totally fucked up. And when it was only like, I mean, God, Finn in the Opera looks better, you know, or I'm sorry, looks worse than he does. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, that's kind of weird. I was yeah. hoping his, I, I was hoping he'd be a lot more fucked up, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It might have been a budgetary thing. I have no idea. But yeah, I was expecting him because like he falls into that acid. <laughs> like, you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. He falls into that puddle. Uh, but yeah, she makes her escape through the ventilation. Howard's uh, stabbing the knife from outside. You don't know what's out there. You can't run from them, he says. Uh, she puts on her DIY hazmat suit and heads up to the surface, right? 
And a uh, bit of a pants shitting moment when she's can't uh, uh, when she's unable to break the lock. Uh, but eventually she does. She gets outside and heads towards a pickup where she rips her suit and hastily tapes it back up, fearing contamination. Then she sees the birds and thinks, "Hold on, what if everything Howard said was bullshit? Was this all a weird ploy to get me to stay and be a replacement for his daughter?" Question mark. Right. Well, and and one thing I don't want to go past really quick is the the throwback to the the freezing of the lock. Uh, yeah. It's like like he he literally like in a way Howard literally gave her the key to her own escape. Right. And it's like oh my god, that's so fucking good. Um, but yeah, seeing the birds is just kind of like what like and it's it's something where if you see a bird outside, okay, whatever. In this circumstance, that would end up being like not an you know not a totally innocuous thing. You're like that is that has huge implications when you see it. No, absolutely, dude. And this is kind of when the film starts to drop off a little bit. It's like, uh, we're we're doing this. We're going in this direction. Okay. All right. We were doing such a a damn good job. And like, look, this, this sequence, it's not bad. It's not terrible. It's just the genre mixing just, it, it feels very, very sudden. Even though we've been watching a Cloverfield movie title Cloverfield the entire time. Right. Yeah. And, and I even, I, you know, Part of me really wants to like it, and and part of me really does. It's 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 not it's not god awful. Um, yeah, it, it's not the worst. It's not like from dusk till dawn when they turn into fucking vampires. You know, at least we had some hint. Howard did say that it's probably extraterrestrial or Russians. So it's like ah, that can kind of go either way. And we've seen you know Cloverfield in the title. We have a pretty good idea of what's going on. But the genre swap is a little jarring. But the fact that when she jumps up and she sees the ship, she goes, oh, come oh on. Oh, my and God, it's kind, yes. Fantastic. It kind of feels like it, it will. And it kind of feels like the audience going, dude, come on. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I for that, I, I kind of like wave the hand of all is forgiven, even though I, I mean, I've harked about that a couple of times, but it's just, you know, I, it's not necessary. But does it does it derail the entire movie? No, it doesn't. But it's not really. It's kind of like you know. It's kind of like having cherry pie and someone throwing a scoop of vanilla ice cream on the top of it. Like it's too sweet. It was fine before, but I'll eat it. You know. Yeah, I watched this with someone who, like, I remember watching it at the cinema with someone who absolutely thought that this derailed the entire movie. Um, I, I, I don't know if I agree with them. I've, I've never kind of, I've never been on board with this ending. Um, I, I'm, I'm really curious as to what the script would look like without. Uh, like before it was picked up by Bad Robot and Paramount, before it became a Cloverfield film, like that would have been interesting to see, like how would, how they would have ended this. Um, I just imagine, you know, that she just basically locked Howard in there and it blew up and she escaped. I don't know. I'm just speculating here. It's uh, it's funny you say that because there's a there's a YouTube edit of this where oh. somebody just cut there where somebody cuts out all the alien shit and it's just her driving off. <laughs> and I was like, oh wow, that's that's fucking incredible. Um, but I'll I'll uh, I'll send it to you so you can see it. Nice. Um, but yeah, she gets outside, heads towards a pickup where she rips her suit, and uh, oh, I, I fucking already read that, didn't I? <laughs> um, but yeah, her reaction. Oh come on! But I love like I love that you know the helicopter looks funny off in the distance, right? But like she doesn't really. It, it's not until like the explosion of the bunker that you know the it lures the 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 aerial craft over to her and she's like oh come on, <laughs> um, but yeah she runs back to the barn we hear something outside uh, such a cool it's a cool moment of the creature just peeking out from behind that car really really slowly like really slowly um, and uh, you know there's no sound in this scene but the car alarm which is which is pretty good too. 
Um, and I, I dig the design of the creature as well. Uh, it just basically looks like a tube with teeth. Like, I don't mind it. Right, yeah. Like, I, I don't mind the, the, the design of them. I'm, I'm not going to lie. My favorite design uh, of any kind of, like, alien creatures in the last couple of years uh, has actually been A Quiet Place. I really like the way they designed those in A Quiet Place, the way they move their, their legs and shit. I was like, I fucking really dig that. Uh, but these ones were just kind of like, oh, that's just, I, I don't know. I didn't really wow me. It's demo dogs. But it, right. Well, the thing that I liked about it was that I was afraid this was going to be one of those like, you know, oh, just let your imagination kind of, oh, fuck you. Fuck <laughs> you for doing that. But they actually give you like a decent glimpse yeah. of yeah, of what they look like. And it's like, okay, cool. At least you made a decision and you stuck with it. Even though it's not entirely original, at least you stuck to your guns. No, absolutely. And like, look, they... They did what they can with the budget they had, right? I mean, like, this, it, it doesn't look amazing. It looks fine, right? Well, and it looks way more like The Mist. Like, it looks way more like shit from... from Haven't seen have it. You ever, oh, man, that's fucking great. Um, <clears throat> no, it looks entirely like stuff from The Mist, which is fucking fantastic, by the way. It's a great movie. Um, but, uh, that, but the aliens in that are, uh, are very similar looking. These ones specifically are very similar to these like tentacle esque, like kind of things that we see, but the shot of her, uh, like running and we see it out of focus in the background. I really dig Pretty that. Cool. I was yeah. like, okay, that's cool. Like we get an idea. It's probably got three to five legs and it's got this like tentacle looking head. Like, cool. I'm cool with that. It's fucking awesome. Um, I remember this shot in the trailers very clearly. So uh, as she's like looking up at this house and we see this bright light coming from behind the house, um, like they cut it like right there. Like we don't see this the, the ship rising uh, like, you know, past the house. All we see is like the, the house being illuminated from the back by the light. And then like, you know, that stirred so many questions for me because like, you know, then you see the title 10 Cloverfield Lane and it's just like, oh, what are we doing here? Like, you know what I mean? It's just such a great, great teaser to put in a trailer. Um, but yeah, essentially the craft rises and disperses its gas and uh, she manages to get her gas mask just in time, right? Like this, obviously, I, I love, okay, we didn't talk about this. I love that Howard was pretty much right, pretty much on the money. I kind of love that. Yeah, well, yes and no. You know, that's what I like is it, yes, there is this horrible gas that's coming down and turning people into the stuff, but it's not a permanent, you know, it, it, in, a, in a way, I mean, look at her, she has little to no compared to Howard, little to no survival experience. And you tell me Howard didn't have a fucking gas mask in there somewhere. Like, come on, dude. Like if Howard would have had one gas mask on in a hazmat suit, he would have been fine. You know, he like he, he would have totally been able to survive on the outside. But that's not Howard's like Howard is right in the, the in the most strictest of terms. But then when you really kind of start getting but, into the and, and go ahead with Howard, is it like that fear of the unknown? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, is he going to gamble taking a gas mask out there? See, well, I think I, part of me is like, as somebody who wants to be in control of everything that's going on, part of me feels like he would want to know, like, well, how long can we survive out there? Blah, blah, blah. Is this actually something that we can manage? But he's he's not worried about that because what he wants is this, this Megan downstairs that's what he wants so it's like well fuck what's going on outside because i have bigger fish to fry down here now i think if you remove like the megan part of it if there's no michelle there's no megan there's no brenny any of this shit it's just him and emmett i think it's um i think at some point he is going to try and just see what's going on outside i think at some point just because of somebody who likes to be prepared and i know he's prepared to this extent but when you start hearing the helicopters and shit like that and he's like ah oh, this is bad i think at some point he's got to go to the surface you know 
Gotcha. Haven't haven't fully made up my mind about that yet. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I, you're not I getting t- my answer on the podcast. Sorry. <laughs> I tell you what, I have made my mind up about uh, the the cocktail starship troopers alien thing. I don't. I don't need this. This yeah. just this seems like stu- <laughs> this this seems like studio notes. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it does. You don't you don't like the Molotov cocktail into the vagina. You don't like that thing. Well, I, I mean, and even less than that, I don't like the fifty foot fall that she does head first in yeah. the truck, and she doesn't do no damage. Are you kidding me? Like. I fell in a walk-in and dislocated my knee and was out. I couldn't walk for a week. Like, are you kidding me? Like, there's no fucking way. There's no fucking way. Like, if Emmett had a sling on for 100% of this movie, you were walking out looking like like Stephen Hawking by out of this truck. Like, there's no fucking way. Well, I mean, like, you've got the alien stuff that doesn't fit, but you also have this stuff that doesn't fit, right? Like, this really weird kind of, like, action sequence um, where, where she's able to survive this thing. Like it doesn't it doesn't fit with what we've seen the previous hour and a half with right like and honestly it wouldn't even bother me if she got scooped up through the Molotov cocktail and she got fucking killed like uh, like okay that makes sense like I'm I'm I am okay with that but you know have her see the ship and she puts her hazmat on suit and she hides and it doesn't find her and they think because they sprayed the gas it must have killed whatever's down there and they move on she doesn't need to have the whole like last action hero you know throwing the bomb to, like. You know, get away from her, you bitch. Like, we don't need that kind of, like, <laughs> moment. All I need is, like, this is this movie has not been a movie of action and, and fighting and taking it to the enemy. This has been a movie about survival. Right. And I think that survival is hiding and getting away from these things for now because this is the battle, and you survive this battle to go on to the war. And we don't really need to see her, like, taking down a ship single-handedly with a Molotov cocktail. Like, if it's that easy, of course everybody's fucking winning right now. <laughs> of course. this This war should have been over, like, two days ago. Right, no, exactly. And, and like, you know, just kind of like shifting gears a little bit. Like, this is, um, in, in Cloverfield, we never saw any ships. We never saw any, you know, demo dogs or whatever the fuck. Like, you know, we only saw that massive creature plus, like, little parasite creatures that come off it. So this is all kind of, like, new to us. Um, I'm still kind of, like, stuck on that. <laughs> I'm banging that drum that none of this really fits. Like, that. basically, that's all I'm saying. Right, that's what I'm saying. And namesake only is it anywhere near like a blood relative to, right. to Cloverfield. Like, yeah, you've got some aliens sprinkled on at the end, but I mean, that's really it. Yeah. Uh, if we are doing this though, I really, 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 really like the wide shot of like the, the ship picking up the, the, um, the pickup truck. It's like a super far out yes. wide. It looks awesome, dude. It feels very super eight. I really yeah, like that. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, you know, she destroys the ship. She blacks out, whatever. You know, we see the ship going down in spectacular fashion and she drives off. She knocks over the letterbox, which reveals the address of Howard's home, 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, a bit more clearly than the letter before. Uh, And she picks up some messages on the radio about the military taking back the eastern seaboard. She receives a call for help for people who have any medical training or combat experience, either move on to Baton Rouge or head to Houston, where people are in need of help. She breaks, reverses, and makes the decision, leaping into the fray. And uh, man, I love this final shot with the music just swelling and that lightning crashing with the uh, the silhouette of the ship. Uh, you know, if we are doing the alien thing, I, I definitely love that. I love the way it ends. I, I, I dig it because it's cool. It's just very quick imagery. Um, there is an alternate ending and it's not very alternate. Oh, it's really? still her dri- It's still her driving off. And I don't, And again, I didn't see this on like a Blu-ray. I saw it on YouTube. So for all I know, this is just some schmuck who like edited it. But it said, you know, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane alternate ending. But 
as she's driving off the lightning strikes and it's the huge like clover monster from Cloverfield and it's walking towards that city and you're like, oh shit. So something, some crazy shit's about to go down. Um, I don't know. I can't if that's say like that being real. I can't say that being real. Right. And I'm wondering, I'm like, eh, it could be, but I'm not gonna lie. It looked pretty fucking good. Oh, yeah. You know, I was like, that could be, it, it could be. Um, but no, I, I, either way, I, I dig it. I like the, she, she goes from, um, you know, she, she, she kind of has the, what do you call it? The Sarah Connor kind of. Yeah, I, I feel that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I, I fucking, I, yeah, I definitely dig this ending. Me too. I mean, I didn't dig like the, yeah. Well, when she gets out of the bunker, I didn't really dig that stuff, but, um, I, I like the ambiguity of the ending. Um, and, and you know, I, I would not have minded seeing a semi sequel to this. Like, you know, Paradox is obviously not a sequel to this. Uh, I wouldn't have mind seeing more of Michelle. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was actually looking up that alternate ending. Yeah, this was just <laughs> done as a fun project by a fan for a fan. So yep. there you go. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, it, it's still fucking, it's still pretty fucking cool looking. Um, no, I, I wouldn't mind seeing more of that. I wouldn't, I, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing, um, yeah, because I don't know, man, this movie just works so much better is not being attached to the Cloverfield shit. Yeah, because absolutely. The clo the Cloverfield shit happened eight years before this, and we're and now like you want to you, you want to leave this into your final thoughts? Yeah, that's fine. Cool. Like I I I don't think this needs to be a part of the Cloverfield universe. I think this movie works fine if it's like hey, like you know, just make it a separate sci fi thing off on its own, or or you know, the only the, I think it I think it could possibly work more as a Cloverfield film if it's like hey. This takes place at the revolution is at the end of the movie or the reveal is, oh, my God, this is the day that that monster hits New York. Like and there's more of them. There's one in Louisiana. There's one in Seattle. There's one in California. Like I wouldn't mind seeing like multiple strikes in in multiple areas around the world, uh, but not just the, hey, it's eight years later. And all of a sudden we've got another monster attack for whatever reason. And we weren't we weren't totally prepared for this. I, I don't know. Um, but the thing that's most I don't know, the thing that's most disheartening about it is the fact that the movie did so well on its own without the introduction of aliens or monsters or anything. It was the paranoia and the paranoia is what drives this movie. It, it makes it the driving force. And it's um, when the world ends, you know, you know, what kind of, what kind of monsters do monsters make out of humans? You know, when your back is up against the wall, you know, do you, you know, what what kind of decisions you make are the ones that ultimately define like who you are. And that's that's what I really liked about the whole movie. And then at the end, you know, that just really kind of threw a ratchet and it doesn't really ruin the movie for me uh, because I like we need that with her character arc. Uh, you know, that's that's the only reason that it even slightly makes sense. But even then, you kind of have to ding some points just being like, hey. You know, if that if you needed her character to to go in that way, it didn't have to be a Cloverfield thing. It could have been just World War Three. You know, it could have been Fallout. It could have been whatever. You know, it doesn't have to be this. So ultimately, I, I really enjoy it. I think it's a fucking great script. I'm sure this is an amazing screenplay to read. I would really love to read this. Uh, it's lean. It's mean. It's tight. It's really, really good in letting its characters breathe. But at the same time, it doesn't have diarrhea of the mouth and just look keep letting shit run and we never have too much or too little of a character. Uh, and I think that that's just, that's really hard to do, especially in a setting with one character, I'm sorry, one setting and three people. Um, but they do a great job. It's got, it's got action. It's got suspense. It's got, you know, no, no romance, which is great for a movie like this. And, you know, the bits of humor that are in it are sprinkled through pretty well. Um, I would say 
I'm going to give this like an eight and a half out of 10. And it would be probably a 10 out of 10 if it were not for the alien shit. Yeah, I think we're on the same page here, right? I mean, like I'm going to lead with my score as well. I think I'd definitely give it an eight and a half. Um, I usually... I usually try and go for like solid numbers, like eight or nines. I never usually try and go for the halves, but I, I can't. I think nine's a little too high, and I think eight's a little too low. Yeah, but yeah, it's the it's it's the attachment to the Cloverfield franchise as a whole that kind of weakens the movie a little bit. Um, but at the same time, the attachment to the Cloverfield franchise also also adds a bit because right, like we, we what our preconceived notions of the pre the previous Cloverfield movie going into this movie we kind of have an inkling as to we're probably going to get some alien shit, right? Like, I mean, if you watch the trailer, um, not having seen this movie and already kind of having seen the previous Cloverfield movie, you kind of like, you're like, all right, where's the alien shit? Like, you know what I mean? Like you kind of, if, 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 if the movie has the word Cloverfield in it, then you're automatically assuming that there's going to be some alien stuff in here. And, you know, you're kind of like thinking about that if you're watching this for the first time, you're kind of thinking about that when Howard is giving his story to Michelle, right? Like he's like, there's a contamination up there. And then like in the back of your mind, you could be thinking, oh, there's aliens up there. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it can go, it, the, the, the connection to the larger Cloverfield franchise can work in its favor. But in the, in the way, the way that it's revealed at the end, it just, it doesn't, it's, it's too jarring and it's too sudden and it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't, go with as a whole as like what the film that we've seen previously like and it doesn't it doesn't fit like none of it fits but from that first hour to the half to the last half hour and like leaving out that last 15 minutes this is an amazing pressure cooker of a film dude like this is such a fantastic acting acting film like for you know john john goodman uh john gallagher jr and um and uh what's her name fucking mary elizabeth winstead uh, mm-hmm. all three of them do just turn in such great performances. It's a great directorial debut because like, it's also this like crazy, like mis- mystery thriller. Um, you know, you're trying to get the bottom, you're trying to get to some answers, right? You know, there's these like big, big questions that this movie asks, uh, at the start of the film, like literally it sets it up in the first eight minutes and, you know, yeah, pretty much every question is answered in some way. Um, you know, some more, uh, clearly than others, but, it, they are pretty much answered. Um, John Goodman, this is one of his greatest performances I've ever seen, man. Like this guy, he's he's just such an amazing screen presence. Um, and and like I, I really wish you know he would play a villain more often. <laughs> it's just so it looks like he's having the greatest time of his life. Mary Elizabeth Winstead can, can just carry carry this film, man. Like she's she's great. Her character is super well written. You know, like. You know, people always like putting out, you know, oh, one of the greatest, you know, action female heroines of all time. I I wouldn't put her up there with like, you know, Ripley or anything like that, but she's she should be in the conversation. You know, <laughs> like she's yeah. she's super like resourceful. She's super, you know, she's she's pretty fucking smart. Um, and she thinks for herself, dude. Like she's just she's such a fantastically well written character. Um, John Gallagher Jr.'s character Emmett is also fantastic, dude. He's a bit more of a of a comedic relief, um, but he's also when he's genuine, when he's telling that story to her, um, you feel it. <laughs> you 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 definitely feel it, and he sells it really really well. All in all, man, this was when I first watched this in the cinema in 2016. I was super surprised because um, this was not the type of movie I was expecting. Uh, you know, having previously watched Cloverfield, I was like, okay, we're gonna be in for a, like a monster movie. I wasn't expecting like this intimate drama. Uh, mystery film like I wasn't expecting that at all like even though the trailer kind of gives off 
by the way, the trailer doesn't re- reveal shit. Like the trailer reveals like this bunker, these three guys are down there, um, and there's some shit happening on the surface. That's pretty much it. Literally, that that is it. If you watch the trailer now, Colin, that's all you'll get from it. You won't get the idea that John Goodman is this kind of like semi-villain. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you won't get that idea from it at all. Um, so it's a fantastic trailer. And like my expectations going into this at first, like we're like completely blown away. Um, but yeah, man, really, really um glad that we covered this movie. This was a great conversation, by the way. <laughs> this is this whole this whole episode. I'm really, really uh fascinated with how this turned out. Um, but yeah, if you haven't seen it already, check this movie out. Um, I don't know why you're listening to us here at the end if you haven't seen this movie. <laughs> um, I do think it is the best film of the three. Um, Paradox is kind of, sorry, Colin, but Paradox is kind of weak. Um, you know, you're not really not missing much. Um, and, you know, Cloverfield itself, having, I saw it so long ago, I need to watch it again. But I, I do remember being quite strong and it was quite short as well. I think it was only like an hour and a half, maybe less than that. Um, but yeah, this was a great film. Check it out. Uh, yeah. Colin, you want to close this out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, guys, thanks for staying late. Thanks for listening all the way through to the end of the episode. Uh, if you guys want to find some more stuff, we have actually a plethora of episodes more to check out. Um, yeah, we've got plenty of feature presentations and upcoming attractions and a few little, a few little special features here and there. Um, <clears throat> but if you want to find us on social media and just be a part uh, outside the show, we're on uh, Twitter at MDF Pod. We're on Facebook at Midnight Double Feature. Uh, there's also the group attached to that called The After Party, which everyone has been posting Witcher memes, and I don't understand them yet because I haven't started watching <laughs> Witcher. Um, nice. We're also on Instagram at, you can find us just at Midnight Double Feature. Um, we're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on YouTube. We're on Spotify. There's a thousand different ways that you can find the podcast. And if for some odd reason you can't find it on any of your platforms, shoot us an uh, email at Midnight Double Feature at gmail.com. Uh, and stop by, rate and review us on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing. You know, we don't have anything set up that would financially help the show or any kind of Patreon or anything like that. Maybe someday, but in the cards right now, if you want to help and be a big asset to us, um, just stop by and review us. You know, fuck iTunes, Facebook. There's a thousand different ways to review us, um, you know, and, uh, you know, always, you know, let us know how we're doing. Leave us a little feedback. You know, if there's something constructive, you got to say love constructive criticism. Absolutely love it. We, the, the, the little bit of constructive criticism we've gotten, we've always tried to, if it's worth it, trying to apply it to that, if it's something that's legitimate. Um, but yeah, that's about, I think all the different ways that you can find us on social media without anything else. Zoe, you got anything else you want to say before we jump off here? No, that's it guys. Thank you so much for hanging out and listening to us, uh, ramble on about aliens. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, well, fuck, we got two more movies in this bitch to cover. So someday we'll get to, we'll get around to them. But for now we will catch you guys later. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
Thank you.